This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your wing cut. Technician James Wigington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out... Who exploded Vivian Stone? Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. And joining us today, he is a prolific YouTuber and a frequent Slash Filmcast guest this summer, Patrick Willems. Welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I'm excited to be back uh, yet again. Yeah, I mean, Patrick, you've really conned your way back onto this podcast, and uh, for, for one reason alone, which is that... You are possibly the only person on the planet who has studied the Mission Impossible films more than me. Uh, and you've <laughs> this done, could be true. Th- this has manifested itself in you, – you've made three separate videos about Mission Impossible on your, uh, on your YouTube channel, which I think uh, – where can people find your YouTube channel, Patrick? It's uh, YouTube.com slash Patrick H. Willems, or if you just search Patrick Willems, it's the first thing that comes up. Yeah, and I, I really uh, enjoyed a, a video essay you made uh, entitled "Who Is Ethan Hunt?" Right, which is a lot of people think that Ethan Hunt, the character that Tom Cruise plays in the Mission Impossible franchise, is like a nothing character. And you're you, you made an entire video essay trying to prove those people wrong. Right, that, that like there's actually a lot of characterization in Ethan Hunt throughout the Mission Impossible films. Am I correct? Yeah. Th- th- I mean, there there is in a way. Basically, I was re-watching all the movies as research for a different video. And as I was going through, I think when I got to the second one, and obviously we've all seen Mission Impossible 2 and, you, you know, and are aware that he is a completely different person in that movie than he is in the first one or the third <laughs> one. And, um, and I was thinking, like, is there a way to try to trace a character arc through all these movies and accept everything as canon and figure out how he became uh, – how, how he went from the person he was in the first movie to the person he is in the second and then the third? And, um, and so I dug way too deep into it. And then beyond that, I decided to dig into uh, the, like, the subtext of who Ethan Hunt is and how he has in a way represented – uh, who Tom Cruise is and who he wants to be and how the public has viewed him over the past 22 years. So I think there's strangely a lot to extract from Ethan Hunt's limited characterization in these movies. <laughs> uh, you, know what I, you know what I love about the, the Mission Impossible franchise, guys? It's that um, they actually had the, the crappy prequels release in order. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're living through, like, the good meaty middle section and uh and you know the crappy prequels which usually are made later 
they actually came out, you know, they, episodes one, two, and well, three is excellent, but episodes one and two, we, you know, they're, they're not that great. <laughs> I, I am so tired of you disparaging yeah. Mission Impossible. What is happening one, right now? Like, oh, the first great. one is great. Yeah. The first I, one is really I'm good. Really, I can't take it, Jeff Kanata. I can't take it. <laughs> it's um, not great, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but speaking of Mission Impossible, guys, uh, that is actually all we're going to be doing today on the podcast, the Slash Filmcast, is we're going to be diving into the newest uh, Mission Impossible film, Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, I was not expecting that that movie would be two and a half hours long. And as a result of that, uh, I think there's just a lot to discuss. Um, so that's all we're going to be doing today on this episode of the podcast. But uh, before we get to that, uh, let's do something that we usually do midway through the show. Let's do, pull it up to the top and uh, thank all the people who donated to the podcast right up top uh, at the top of the show, some of whom have written accompanying messages. Uh, we want to thank the people who donated at the rate of $2 per month. Lawrence Nile, Nile Coleman Jr., Andy Zito, Tarjay Asin, Asin, Ruben Hill, Sean Wigmore, Jonathan Barron, and Vitor Bartolotti Ribeiro. Thank you all for donating at the rate of two dollars per month. And uh, we also want to thank. And you made zero mistakes through any of that. I made. I did not butcher any of those names. uh, (laughs) And I'm really appreciative of all those donors. We also want to thank uh, donors Jamie from Vancouver, British Columbia, Pappy in Dallas, who made a follow-up donation. uh, The guy who. Wants you to watch Preacher, Jeff. And uh, Ben Phelps, who writes in, uh, with, along with his donation, he writes in, uh, Hi, Slash Filmcast Squad. Like a good wine, your podcast gets better with age. Over the years, it's been awesome to listen along as you've grown into thoughtful and entertaining film critics. I now associate the Slash Filmcast with seeing a movie. I can't listen or watch one without the other. For me, it's part of my contemporary movie-going experience. That's a testament to all of you. Heck, Jeff can even make an advertisement sound entertaining, and that's no mean feat. Thanks, guys. But here's where the other shoe drops. I was going to make a donation last week, and then I heard Jeff's uh, Jeff's impression of an Australian accent. Oh, so he upped his donation. Oh, man. Oh, Jeff. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, and now I'm worried that he won't be able to put food on the table for his children, so I doubled my donation. See? You're welcome, guys. I had to. It's the least I could do. I know it's not enough money to stop Jeff from attempting an Australian accent in the future, but it's a step in the right direction. Mm. (laughs) So (laughs) that message comes in from Ben, who doubled his donation so that Jeff would never do an Australian accent again. I, I promise <laughs> that from now on, if either Dave or Devendra asks me to do an Australian accent, I will say, nay. <laughs> You'll, you can do New Zealand <laughs> accents. So. Oh, my God. Like, just give us that version. That's, I mean. Nay. Uh, please stop. <laughs> please stop. I, also, I like how Jeff is the only one laughing at this. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not here for anyone else but me. Patrick is just complete. He's like, "What the heck did I sign up for?" <laughs> yeah, um, oh, I've, I, I left the room. What did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> so we also got this email from Mike uh, Apparicio, who is a longtime listener of the podcast and uh, a longtime supporter of our work as well. And uh, this email really made me think, guys. This email really made me think. So Mike also uh, gave us a very generous donation. And he writes in, Hello, Slash friends. I would like to pose a question to you. What is our most valuable asset? No, it is not the AMC Stubbs A-list for fuck's sake. The answer, of course, (laughs) is time. And Mm. so it brings me much pain each week to learn how foolishly you have spent your time during a segment that may as well be called What We've Been Watching Instead of the Underrated Netflix Original Gem, Dark. 
Dark is a German sci-fi series in which time plays a big part. With shades of X-Files, Lost, and Twin Peaks, its mystery unravels slowly over the course of its ten episodes, and it concludes with a bang. In my opinion, it is far superior to Stranger Things, which is the most obvious comparison. But Dark's characters, mystery, and soundtrack all add up to a can't-miss show that I think is right up your collective alleys. So next time you're ready to subject yourself to some inane drivel, consider this donation as a plea to watch Dark instead. You will thank me later. Yours in time, Mike Aparicio. Love the yours well, in Mike, time it, sign off. Yeah, it sounds good. like uh, it's going to be a little longer before I watch Preacher. That's all. I'm <laughs> um, yeah, See, so that's I how heard... you do a show recommendation. <laughs> Just saying, I have heard great things about about Dark, uh, the uh-huh. Netflix original series, and my wife has actually watched the entire thing. She's extremely annoyed with me for not having caught up. Um, so I am actually especially every time you go see a movie like The Equalizer Two. That's correct. It's that's like correct. Dave. It's like a slap in the face. Uh, what do you so, do? Uh, Dark on Netflix is something that I'm very keen to to get into. Uh, have you any of you seen any episodes of the show? Yeah, I, I've seen a few episodes. It is it's good, but it is uh, emphasis on the slow bit. And I think coming off of uh, Stranger Things and just a whole bunch of stuff, like it just felt really familiar. So it's not bad. Uh, like I still enjoy it. I just need to reset and watch like a mystery about you know kids once again. Um, but I'm looking forward to watching it at some point. Yeah, I heard it described as. As Stranger Things, but sort of uh, adult and dark and uh, kind of uh, horror-y, you know, real backbone to it. Patrick Willems, is this, is Dark a show that you uh, want to try out, or have you heard anything um, about um, I might. I mean, it, it sounds cool. Uh, I have not seen any of it myself, and uh, there is a lot of TV out there. And <laughs> so, and I, um, I, I breathed like a, an exasperated sigh when I heard, oh, there's another intriguing sounding show now that yep, I have to put yep. on my list. This is uh, Netflix is a victim of its uh, overabundance, right? Because we can't keep up with everything. So when something good kind of appears, yeah, it may it may take a while for some of us to get to it, unfortunately. Well, before we get to our review of Mission Impossible Fallout, the only other thing we wanted to mention, Devendra, I think there is yes. a, uh, a popular movie subscription service that you want to talk about. I, I know uh, we have promised to not talk about movie subscription services, especially like international folks have written <laughs> in and said, like, please stop talking I, about I, this. I think there was one in particular we were asked not to talk about. That's right. Uh, thanks, That's right. To, uh, thanks to somebody. So, you know, I will not say the name of said service, but I do want to say, uh, you know, it looks like... Uh, movie pass unfortunately may be in its final days um you know things have been pretty crazy for movie pass over the past week and it's kind of gotten worse uh last week at some point the service just entirely just shut down because they ran out of money um they fixed that in like a last ditch effort to get some more debt funding and now it seems like uh there was a report today that they're just not going to have a couple high profile releases people have been having trouble getting into mission impossible screenings uh, it's all either been either search pricing or just not showing up so basically movie passes right now a service it's trying to get you not to use it as a service <laughs> not a good sign uh, but i do want to say like i you know i i was fascinated with this company years ago like it launched way way back like i think around 2012 and it's been through a couple iterations um you know i always thought it was a really um inspiring journey like they did have this goal of making movie consumption in theaters a thing that people would want to do and try to revitalize cinema going they knew the subscription plan was kind of the way things would go um and they tried that in a few different ways and they kind of ended up with this debit card situation uh i thought it was really you know it was a really smart idea and we owe 
uh, all these other services popping up. And I think they're going to be um, successful going forward just based on what we're seeing from a couple examples of services that won't be named. But I also know Alamo is also, you know, teasing one as well. Um, we're, I'm a fan of the cinema. I think we all are. And anything that encourages people to go there more is a good thing, especially if it's, you know, getting people to buy concessions and stuff. So I think MoviePass for that, hopefully we will remember it as a service that kind of kicked off this whole phenomenon and, uh, you know, not just as the way things are ending, unfortunately. Hey, Dave, would you say that if there was a list of these services, (laughs) you wouldn't put MoviePass on it anymore? Uh, I think that is correct. I, I, I think that uh, it's unfortunate that MoviePass is, is going to be just a stub <laughs> on the long list of cinema history. Is that hey, anyway? Hey, hey, yeah. I like how you're ruining my my nice thoughtful uh, reminiscence of MoviePass Day. But keep going, please. <laughs> First of all, that was told, that was all Jeff. But yes, uh, so Devendra, <laughs> uh, in support of what you're saying, I think one thing that people have said is yeah, people. Uh, who had MoviePass, uh, a U.S.-based subscription service, have uh, seen way more movies than they otherwise would have. They spent more money on concessions than they otherwise would have. It Mm -hmm. was a shot in the arm for the uh, U.S. cinema industry to introduce their own subscription services. So it has done a lot of good. I I definitely don't want to uh, downplay that. And um, sorry if it's coming across like I am. I I, I do think it has uh, done a lot of good, but uh, it's also clearly in a lot of trouble at this point. And who knows how much longer it's going to last. We will see. Yeah. I'm excited by the future of movie subscriptions and kind of what this all means. Uh, if you have a local indie theater, by the way, that you go to all the time, uh, become a member, get those ticket discounts. Like oh, that's basically a subscription. There are a lot of ways that you could also take advantage of these types of deals. Indeed. Indeed. Hey guys, I want to bring up one other quick topic before we go, because we are are about to enter into <laughs> the final month, full month of summer of the summer movie wager yes and things are heating up yeah i mean the worst possible scenario seems to have come to pass uh where the person with the highest calculated chance according to summer movie wager on twitter uh is none other than our own dave chen no one wants this it's the darkest possible timeline uh there are still there's still chances Lots of chances. It's still anybody's game, almost anybody's game, very, very few people's game, but there's a few people whose game it still could be. And it seems to me my chances are coming down, as fate would have it, are coming down <laughs> to one movie in particular that I think we all knew. We all knew that that would have a, uh, a disproportionate impact on my fate, uh, even as I put it on my list. And that And that film comes out, this week, this next week, and as luck would have it, I am going to see a screening of it on my birthday, the day <laughs> after tomorrow, on my birthday. I feel like it is a convergence of so many things. So uh, if anybody is thinking about going to see Christopher Robin, you know, uh, go, go to see a, 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 what looks to be a very heartwarming film uh, with nostalgia and childhood magic throughout, but also maybe go, uh, you know, Throw some luck to your boy as, as he uh, tries to topple the tyrant at the top of the probability list. Uh, yeah. So, Patrick, if you don't know what we're talking about, this is our... Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware. <laughs> You're well aware. Okay. Uh, and, of course, those who uh, are listening, this might be their first episode. You can go to thesummermoviewager.com to learn more about our competition every summer where we try to choose the top 10 uh, grossing films in domestic box office. Uh, if Christopher Robin 
uh, makes it somewhere in the top 10. Jeff Kanata's chances of winning, as calculated by Dennis, who runs uh, our Summer Movie Wager website. Um, if it makes top 10, if it makes number nine, Jeff's chances of winning the Summer Movie Wager, 53%. That's staggering. Mm-hmm. Staggering. <laughs> Uh, if it is not we, in the top we 10 We can at only all, hope. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not in the top 10 at all, then Jeff's chances of winning the summer movie wager are 2%. Um, <laughs> and so, so, I don't know, I don't know math, but, um, <laughs> it seems like a significant swing for me. <laughs> yeah, I would say, uh, Jeff's really hoping that Christopher Robin gets number nine. Um, I'm really hoping it's not, because it, if it does get to number nine, then I, I'm actually screwed if that happens. So, don't go see Christopher Robin. <laughs> Vote with your dollars by not seeing it so that Dave Chen can win the summer movie wager again. Uh, all right. I think we both presented our cases, right, Jeffrey? I think yeah, we have. Yeah. We have. It's okay. good versus evil. I think it's pretty clear. Yep. Yep. And I think listeners know which one is which. So with all that said, <laughs> let's dive into our review of Mission Impossible Fallout. Your mission. Should you choose to accept it? I wonder, did you ever choose not to? The end you always feared is coming. And the blood will be on your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. His team would be dead. Yes, they would. That's the job. That was from the trailer for Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, the latest entry in the franchise, the sixth film. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Ethan Hunt and his IMF team, along with some familiar allies, race against time after a mission gone wrong. This movie is written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie, and it's notable because it is the first time in the Mission franchise that a director has returned. Not only returned, but continued a, uh, the, the plot directly from the previous mm-hmm. film, right? Like, in, in a very tangible way. Other... Um, Movies have brought back elements. Ving Rhames has been on, I think, every every single film. But this is yeah. the one where you actually feel like there's been consequences from the previous film, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Uh, so, Patrick Willems, obviously this is a franchise that you love. And uh, I'm curious, like, what were your expectations going into this one and, and where they met? Uh, so, I feel like uh, my expectations are probably similar to a lot of hours. Actually, I know that for a fact because I've listened to your Mission Impossible franchise episode. Um, my expectations were uh, sky high. This was probably my most anticipated movie of the year. Um, I do not have the self-control to avoid the trailers, and I watched them relentlessly. <laughs> uh, the, the the first initial trailer from back in February, I've said multiple times, is like one of my favorite movies <laughs> of 2018. Uh, so, And also, uh, I... I feel like I should just mention this up front because I know you guys have talked about it in the past. My ranking for the series uh, goes on top Rogue Nation, then the first movie, then Ghost Protocol, then three, then two. And so this is following up my favorite movie in the series. So I was 
stoked to have Macquarie back. I was stoked to see the story continue. And also it's just the new installment in like one of my favorite movie series. So yeah, I could not have been more excited for this movie. Awesome. Awesome. And actually, uh, before you actually tell us your opinion on the movie, why don't we say a quick word on, uh, on formats? Um, how did you, so I've seen the film three times in the last week and I saw it in three different formats. I saw it in regular, I saw it in Dolby vision, which or Dolby cinema, whatever it's called. It's the first Dolby film I've seen actually. And then I also saw it in full IMAX. Um, so saw it three different times. Uh, has anyone seen any diversity? Uh, Davindra, I think you saw it in full IMAX as well, right? I saw it in full, full IMAX. Yeah. yeah uh, so did I. At Lincoln oh. Center. Yeah. And th- that's all I've seen. I want to see in Dolby though. Cause I love that, like that tech. I kind of want to see what the visual difference is going to be. And how about you, Patrick? What'd you see it in? Just um, regular? I've seen it twice, both times in full IMAX at the Lincoln square theater, in New York. Yeah. Uh, and so, I think that uh, of the three times I've seen it, I, I think you know people have asked, what, what should I see it in? Should I see it in Dolby or full IMAX? And I, my answer to that question is full IMAX because yes, um, for two sequences, uh, the screen expands to fill the entire aspect ratio of full IMAX. And uh, there is nothing else like that feeling when you see that screen expand, guys. I yeah. mean, they are, they are the sequences you would want that to happen for, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty impressive, that, you, too, because it wasn't shot in IMAX, so they did some, like, it's some remastering technology. No, Maybe no, no, they, no. They used IMAX yeah. cameras for those sequences. Um, did they? Yeah. But everything else in the film was shot on film, actually. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's crazy uh, that they, they shot this stuff in full IMAX. and um, uh, They've it, been doing that for several of the movies now. I mean, even back to the... To the um, Dubai, yeah, yeah, the Dubai uh, building sequence is all shot in IMAX, which is one of the Mm -hmm. craziest parts of that whole, you know, endeavor. Was they had these gigantic cameras that they stuck out of a 146 floor of a building. That was the only one, right? Just the uh, for Ghost Protocol, if I remember correctly. I don't think they they did anything for for Rogue Rogue Nation, Nation. as far as I as I recall. And so I I think if you're going to go see this movie, see it on the largest IMAX screen possible, and. I, so I, I loved the experience of watching it in IMAX. Uh, my only bummer is that the the IMAX brand name has gotten significantly diluted in the last uh, decade or so because now now you don't really know what IMAX is, right? Like when you go see it in AMC IMAX, uh, it can be just like a slightly bigger screen with slightly better sound. Uh, and yeah. it doesn't necessarily have the full kind of square-esque aspect ratio. Um, so that that is disappointing that you, as a consumer, need to do a bunch of research to figure out which screens actually have full IMAX. Um, but there's not that many in the United States, so it's once you know, you know for for sure. But um, uh, yeah, so if you see it in full IMAX, you will be rewarded for your efforts in seeing it in full IMAX, and uh, I feel the need to mention that up top. Um, I will say also, seeing it in Dolby is incredible. Devendra, your recommendation was spot on. I mm-hmm. mean. Uh, if you've never been in a Dolby cinema, there's basically 30 to 40 speakers visible, like on the walls and on the ceilings. It's like every two feet, it's like there's a speaker. And uh, you can feel it in your seat, too. The seat reclines, but it feels like there's speakers in the seat. There, There's um, like uh, transducers is what yeah. they call them. It feels they, like they a sub, almost. 
And it's not just sound that's better. The, the Dolby Vision, the laser projection, yes, at, it's has higher very contrast. Blacks, yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I know a, IMAX is also testing out like their own new laser stuff too. So it's like the now the heat is on to see who can produce the brightest big image. I guess. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, I think people are sort of less hot on 3D at this point, but seeing 3D in a Dolby theater is. Uh, night and day. Uh, and I use that term very specifically because it's like night when you're seeing it not in Dolby. <laughs> and it's like day when you, you know, it's, you know, that, that situation where wearing the 3d glasses darkens the screen to feel like you're looking through a screen door. It is markedly improved, uh, mm-hmm. in the Dolby vision because the brightness is so high and it's been calibrated to offset the darkness of the glasses. It's, that's how I saw jungle book. And uh, in 3D, and it was ex- vibrant. It oh was man! Extraordinary. I can imagine that's good. The other, the other good thing about the Dolby screens is that I believe it's the only uh, major theatrical way to see HDR presentations mm. of movies, and that is, I, at this point, like having you know reviewed a lot of 4K stuff and enjoying my nice you know 4K HDR TV. I I really like that benefit of HDR, just like l- l- brighter peak. Uh, you know, colors, uh, brighter whites, basically, and more depth around darkness. So it really shows. And you see a lot of things that you don't even see in, you know, another theater that doesn't have HDR. Yeah. So uh, Dolby is also a great way to watch Mission Impossible Fallout. In my opinion, IMAX is the best way, and I'd, I'd strongly recommend it. So all that said, Patrick, you saw it in the best way, right? IMAX. Um, yes. And what were your thoughts on the film? Did it deliver? Uh, yes, uh, it did. I mean, um, it's, it's nice for once. I think I'm going to be on this show and I'm not going to be the one guy like defending a, uh, a not especially great movie. I don't know. We haven't uh, said our opinions yet. Yeah, that's true. I do. I do follow you all on Twitter though. So, uh, um, guys, this movie fucking rules. Um, it's so good. It's, I mean, I, I, as far as the summer goes, as like I, I feel like it's easily my favorite movie of the summer, um, and and just one of the best times I've had at a movie all year. Uh, yeah, I I really loved it. Devin, your hardware. I I don't think I've seen you share your thoughts on it. I've, I've followed the tweets. I don't think I've heard whether you really like this movie or not. What are your thoughts on Mission Impossible? Uh, I mean, uh, my tweets are my tweets are up there. It yeah. is certainly uh, uh, fantastic. Certainly amazing. (laughs) Like this movie is uh, the fallout of my fandom of this entire series. Like it is just everything I love about the Mission Impossible series. So yeah, I don't want to sound like this whole you know episode will probably sound like a huge love fest, but it kind of is. I think like when a movie deserves it, when it's like I think a pitch perfect action movie, I don't mind like keeping praise on it. Um, For me, this yeah, this movie just does everything right. I love uh, Christopher McQuarrie's action sensibilities, but I also love the way he just he knows this franchise inside out. The uh, everything before the credits roll, um, you know, before the uh, they light the fuse at the beginning of this movie. That's an entire Mission Impossible movie compressed <laughs> into like five minutes. It's insane. It's insane how much he just understands what makes this franchise tick and how much he can just like play around with our expectations of it, too. Um, there is a great um, we were talking about the presentations uh, before we were recording here, like the, you know, the mission briefings and everything. And in this one, the mission briefing is so over the top 
it like it goes on and on and on to the point of like insanity and ridiculousness and like i was also thinking like yeah who who is making these things and you know what is what are their lives like because this must be kind of a soulless existence or something like you see the world is ending you're putting it in a powerpoint and you really hope this one agent can do something about it he has um, the choice to accept it yeah, yeah. i really, I really gotta even work I really I, gotta. I, I gotta nail this job or not? Like, I gotta, what? I gotta nail this presentation, or else he might not accept it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, and you know, we'll talk about a lot of stuff in spoilers, but I also love how it wraps in like everything. Everything from the series gets a nod, and even like Ethan's emotional arc, like their his relationship with his friends and everything, and with the women in his lives. Like it all, it all kind of means something. And I love it when an action movie actually means something. Uh, and also when the action is freaking good. And we'll talk about all of that. I will say, though, like after all of this, um, as much as I love this movie, I think Rogue Nation still is a touch, uh, touch higher in my heart. Uh, mainly I, because, I totally agree. Yeah, that movie gave us yeah. uh, mainly because like it was the first time we we're like, who the heck is Ilsa Faust and why is she so amazing? And like that movie just gave us a lot of that introduction stuff. Um, and that whole extended chase sequence, like after the diving sequence, like I, I love the chases in this movie. I don't think they top what we saw there. Um, no but still like, this is, this is like saying, do you prefer steak or do you prefer lobster? And they're both <laughs> amazing gourmet meals. And it's kind of pointless to argue about them because one is steak and one is lobster and you're being spoiled either way. So I'm, I'm just telling you personally where I'm sitting with this. I, I disagree uh, that it's pointless to argue about them because I think we're probably going to do just that. Well, yeah, because that is, I guess, why we podcast. I don't know. <laughs> pointless arguments. Here we go. Uh, but I will say like my one, uh, the one thing I would have liked to see more of in this movie is like a you know, more use of Ilsa Faust. I think she was kind of sidelined. I think Rebecca Ferguson was also uh, you know pregnant for part of the shooting time. So that kind of uh maybe you know uh, constrained what she could actually do and how long she could be available but that's my only criticism like this movie just just like uh as we say on twitter now apparently uh this movie fucks yes <laughs> jeff canada your thoughts <laughs> on the movie how do i follow this movie fucks um <laughs> i i also had a blast with this movie i think it's crazy talk to say it's the best mission impossible movie i think that is crazy talk I think it's a heck of a lot of fun, uh, and I loved it. I loved it. I had uh, it's a blast, and I can't wait to talk about specifics throughout. Uh, but having seen all of them so recently, I think it's crazy talk to say this is the best. Um, I think it's the most recent of uh, an excellent series. It is <laughs> the most recent. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's and, the highest and, praise you have for it. Well, no, I mean, I think it's great, but I think that it's so cl it's the most recent in everyone's mind. And that's why people say it's the best. Um, I think if, if Rogue Nation came out before this, if Ghost Protocol, I mean, after this, you know, what I mean, if, if that was the most recent one, people would say, oh, it's the best one. The, the the bar is very high for this series and this meets that bar for sure. But I honestly wasn't loving uh, a, a lot of the early parts of it. I, I didn't – having had those movies so recently in my mind, I was constantly comparing it and going, man, the way the other, this other movie kicked off and the way that other movie kicked off, I preferred yeah. it. I just, and it's a it's a lot slower, surprisingly. How it yeah, and and it's 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 a lot denser toward the front, and it's a it kind of crawls up its own butt a little bit, which is fun in a way, but it. I found it to be a little more clunky than others have been. And it didn't like hit the ground running like other, uh, you know, more recent entries into the series have. And then the last 20 minutes happens and it's like, Oh, well, 
it, this <laughs> this movie does what none of them have done, and really what no, no James Bond has done in forty years, which is it saves the best for last. So often, my criticism with a James Bond, or even sometimes with a Mission Impossible, is like the first sequence is the best, and it never lives right, up right. to. You know, it, it sets a really high bar and then never exceeds it. It goes, it, 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 you know, blows yeah. its load at the beginning. Man, Casino Royale doesn't even have like a, it has like a fourth act action sequence, but like the, the main villain just kind of gets offed so randomly. Right. So yeah, yeah, I and agree. Just about Rogue Nation, as much as I love that movie and it's so fun, the last action sequence is not even the second best. It's not even the third yeah. best. Right, it's like, right, right. you know, it's, it's satisfying because you, we get the villain, but it is. It's not saving the best for last. This sure. movie crescendos at the end like a great fireworks display. And uh, and my goodness, watching that sequence, the end of this movie, the last twenty minutes of this movie on an IMAX screen. Yes, I was like bouncing up and down in my seat, uh, seeing Tom Cruise do, do what he does in this movie. The the I said this before, I think last week, uh, but I will reiterate it. In an era that is just awash in CGI action sequences, and I have a lot of fun watching them. I'm not denigrating visual effects. But in a world where we are just so accustomed to seeing digital stuntmen and composited sequences and things that our modern eye knows are fake – it it truly is extraordinary and it truly is a special kind of thing to see an actor who is a multi-billion dollar star do the thing like and you know he did the thing that is i mean say what you will about tom cruise but it is a true above and beyond kind of delivery he knows that he is setting this franchise apart from everything else because he learns how to do the thing and then does it and as a viewer i'm just completely taken by that it is it is, there's nothing else like it it's like not since jackie chan has has i have i had that feeling and it's it really is truly thrilling for me Agreed completely. You know, it's a very special franchise because it's one of the only franchises where you see a billionaire risk his life for the entertainment of the masses, right? Yeah. And I can't think of a single other movie franchise where you can describe it like that. Jackie Chan's career, but other yeah, than that, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and and uh, having watched all the behind-the-scenes features for this movie and listened to hours of interviews with Christopher McQuarrie, the director, uh, Tom Cruise seems to be obsessed with making sure you know that it was him actually doing it. Like all the stuff that, <laughs> yeah. like where to position the camera and like what the shots to use. It's always like, how do we make sure uh, that you know that it's Tom Cruise doing it? You know, one it of the pays off. It does. It does. And I mean, one of the ways, like, for uh, there, there's a sequence where, like, he's wearing a helmet where his his face is illuminated really well. You know what I mean? Like, they've yeah. designed that helmet custom just so yeah. you could see his face during that. One sequence. man's vanity has never been so useful for cinema. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Uh, I, I mean, I love this movie. I think it is one of the most ambitious action films ever made uh it's to for me it is right up there with mad max fury road in terms mm-hmm. of how ambitious some of these sequences are uh, i'm a little bit uh like kind of um 
nostalgic's not the right word, but like this is kind of the last major blockbuster temple for for a while, I think, right? I yeah. mean like uh the the Shane Black Predator movie's coming out soon, but like I don't know that there's any movie that's gonna be as big as this one, um, other than maybe Christopher Robin. Uh you know what I mean? Like <laughs> coming out yeah. in the next uh, I don't know, for until like December, right? Like um, this is kind of the last, the the, the final throws of, of summer blockbuster uh, film going. So uh, I, I'm kind of like a little bit bummed out. Like, this is it. This is it. Like, let's enjoy it while it lasts. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I thought this movie was, was great. I think, uh, you know, you guys have talked about the stunts and how amazing they look. And I think they do look incredible. I think the way that it the movie pays off your attention to the previous films is uh, really special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like they were making it for us, I guess, in a weird way. It indeed, kind of felt indeed. that with all these little references, yeah. Lorne Balfe's score for this movie is one of my favorite scores from the entire franchise. Uh, it is, in my opinion, very similar to Hans Zimmer's work in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, both scores are like uh, the, the Mission Impossible theme song is done in a very special time signature called 5 4 time uh, that makes it sound like different than like most other music which is a lot of it's in like 4-4 time and The Dark Knight Rises is also in 5-4 time and like I feel like many sequences you could definitely feel uh, the same kind of propulsive energy but also uh, it's a lot darker this uh, score is a lot darker than previous films and I think you definitely feel that like this movie is about Ethan Hunt confronting the consequences or fallout of his actions from previous movies. And I think the score reflects that uh, in a very powerful way. So those are some of the things I really loved about the movie. But one of the things I didn't like is having seen this movie three times, I still think (laughs) the plot is complete nonsense. I mean, it is is less of a plot and more of a set piece delivery mechanism. And it's aware of how much nonsense it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Patrick, I talked to you about this after we saw the movie and uh, I was saying like how I I thought this plot was completely incomprehensible. And, (laughs) and in in your opinion, you know, that, that doesn't make it any different than, than any of the previous movies, right? what did you think of the plot? Like, did you find the plot to be satisfying? Did you find it did the trick overall thoughts on the plot? Uh, I've I've actually been thinking about this a lot, and I, and in in general, I don't think the plot is significantly or or even less so like nonsense than a lot of the other movies because essentially the way these movies work is everyone is chasing a thing around the world and right. it doesn't really matter, and then people will betray other people, but it's all just a matter of chasing the thing. And uh, I mean, like, really, like the third movie might be the most nonsense because that's the one where you don't even you never know what the thing is that that is <laughs> yeah. even be like you don't even know what the threat is, just that there's a thing that's bad. And uh, and like the fourth movie, uh, as, as as much as I love it, you know, that has the the least interesting of all the villains. He, he's mm-hmm. just like a guy in a suit. And um and about this one, I and this is part of the reason that I would put it a little like just behind rogue nation uh, i i follow it is my second favorite of the series um there uh, i think it introduced in that like giant exposition dump right at the beginning i do think it introduces some some fun concepts with like the the and i, I won't get into in, uh, like intense spoiler territory this is just the beginning of the movie i know we'll get into that later but uh but it does introduce stuff about like the syndicate having kind of formed to this new group called the apostles and there's this mysterious figure this like uh 
uh, what, what like extremist guy named John Lark that apparently has these big plans and there's like a manifesto and manifestos are cool and uh but it it just kind of mentions those things and doesn't really delve into them yeah. and I was thinking about yeah. this earlier today and I was like do I do, do I want it to delve into the villains like philosophy more and their plans are like, would that have made it better? Is it, or, or is it better the way it is where it's basically just an excuse for like to set up these scenes and to create this constant forward momentum, which is what these movies are all about. And like the, I, I think what matters is, you know, there are stakes. The stakes are very clear. And that's what these movies are pretty much about, just giving you impossible stakes and then somehow, uh, you know, seeing the, them overcome. And I think it succeeds there. And so the plot being mostly nonsense, uh, in a way, it, it's almost like it, like just an an attribute of these movies. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's right, not right. a bug that the yeah. plot is, ter- <laughs> is, is nonsensical. Exactly. Exactly. No. No one's you know watching these movies to to find out about like I don't even know. Just like a, the, the plots really don't matter. Um. And I and yeah, it is not a bug. It's just a feature. All right. I have more to say about this, but why don't we get to spoilers? I want to. I want to yep. say one one thing before that. I want to. I want to pitch you guys on Mission Impossible Seven. My my vision for Mission Impossible Seven because so I think one of the craziest things about the franchise as a whole is that there is this perfect mask making technology <laughs> that has stayed only used in one very obscure part of the government for <laughs> fifteen years twenty years <laughs> somehow they have maintained a lock on that technology and it's been in every movie and they've stuck with it for. That long, and it's the CIA doesn't use it. The rest of the world hasn't used it. So I think Mission Impossible Seven should be all about mask technology getting out in the open, and the entire movie is just masks on masks on masks. It's everybody <laughs> could be anybody, and what does that do to the world? And only Ethan Hunt can stop it. Mm. All right, masks just all all masks all the time. <laughs> all masks. I love, I love this idea. Right. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, chasing a like, nuclear weapon or some sort of data. It's literally chasing the mask technology and trying to recapture it and get it back. And of course, it's, in the series tradition, it has to be stolen by a disavowed IMF agent because, <laughs> you know, the, the villains always seem to originate as part of the organization. Who steals it is a guy who steals it is a guy who looks exactly like Ethan Hunt. <laughs> right? And they think Ethan Hunt stole it because it looked exactly like Ethan Hunt. And then there's like 14 Ethan Hunts all around the world. He couldn't possibly be in all these places at once. Oh, no. It's because it's mask technology. It's masks on masks on masks. You may, may want to answer your phone, Jeff. I think Tom Cruise is on the line. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, how can I make this movie more cruisier? <laughs> all right. All right. Let's uh, Madman rantings of Jeff Kanata side. Let's get I to it. I think that's a solid idea, and I don't. It's a good I, idea. Like honestly, yeah. it is a weird like superpower that <laughs> yes. has existed in this entire franchise, and now in the world of like social media, and we're worried about like you know fake uh, you know uh, fake videos. Uh, they they had the possibility to do that forever. The president of the United States could be wearing a mask right. in this series. Like, who knows what's happening now? There's only the one moment in what Ghost Protocol where the bad guy uses it and then throws it on the ground. It's the only time the bad guy has used it. 
Right. It's like, why aren't they always using this? Like, why isn't this <laughs> he, always being He had being the used? backup mask from when he was an agent. That's probably yeah. why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he took it. Like All in the right. second movie, when the bad guy uses it multiple yeah. times. Yes. Yeah, multiple oh, yeah, times, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Spoilers for Mission Impossible Fallout starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Before we get to uh, the spoilers for this movie, uh, I do want to read this email from Dalton from Florida, a longtime listener of the show, who writes into slashfilmcast at gmail.com. I saw Mission Impossible Fallout yesterday on IMAX. This was after months of the hardest Unsullied I've ever done for a film. For those who don't know, Unsullied is Jeff and my way of referring to never having seen the trailer for a movie before seeing the movie. The Last Jedi was a cakewalk compared to the amount of trailers, gifts, etc. I had to avoid for Fallout. It all started when the trailer was attached to Black Panther. I closed my eyes and covered my ears. The trailer was so amazing to my friend that she physically grabbed me with excitement, <laughs> forgetting I was doing The Unsullied. Since Black Panther, at least 60% of the films I went to had the trailer attached. Even Hereditary had the trailer attached. I just closed my eyes and covered my ears, or if I was with someone, I would leave the theater and go get concessions. Gifts on Twitter became a nightmare. But after putting a keyword block on Mission Impossible-related items, it became much easier. So yesterday was finally the day. I sat with my jaw on the floor for most of the film. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Once I got home, I immediately watched the trailer and was so happy I did Unsullied for this film. Way, way, way too many moments were revealed in the trailer. Why on earth would they include that Michelle Monaghan came back? Why show the end of the car chase? Especially when the trailer has fake shots in it like Ethan falling off the cliff. I'm sure Jeff and David will talk about their experience doing Unsullied for this movie, but after doing Unsullied for nearly three years myself, I cannot believe how hard it was for this movie. In the end, it was all worth it, seeing everything for the first time during the film, end quote. So that's from Dalton from Florida. I will say, correct, the mission, I believe the Michelle Monaghan shot in the trailer is from, like, the wedding sequence. And if you're watching a trailer, it's like, oh... That clearly a flashback. No, right? that no, does they, not tell no, you like that, what's that happening. There's the part where she says, "How is he?" Yeah, there's uh. a, a scene where she's diffusing the bomb with Luther, and she says, <laughs> "So how is Ethan?" Or yeah, yeah, how is he? As you as you said, Patrick. Um, and yeah. Luther says, "Oh, you know, you know, like you know, Ethan." Like that's what he says. Um, yeah. Uh, so Dalton, you and I and Jeff, we all live this life, which is uh we studiously avoided all the trailers before uh seeing this movie and jeff i think you and i for at least for my first viewing i even closed my eyes during the opening credits so as not to be spoiled <laughs> by the end of the film i did too yeah. yes i won't i won't even let the movie itself spoil me for the movie yes that, that is you part nerds. of the narrative intent of the movie <laughs> and you're still refusing you okay. know what I, right. I, I I know better than the movie. <laughs> you know better than Christopher McQuarrie? Stand down, sir. Stand I, down. I agree, actually, 100% with Dalton. They gave away so many moments. The Michelle Monaghan reveal, uh, I'm going to be honest, like, when in the opening credits, like, you see Michelle Monaghan, or, you know, I heard Michelle Monaghan was in this movie. <laughs> and so uh, you see that she's in the opening scene, right? And then she's yeah. later in a flashback, uh, or, you know, Ethan's dream. And I'm thinking, oh, well, that's... That's all of Michelle Monaghan we're going to see in this movie. Uh, I nearly shit myself when Michelle Monaghan shows up in the final sequence in the movie. I, did, I had no idea she was going to be in that sequence, and I'm so glad that surprise was preserved. So surprise cool. was preserved, yeah. Um, but also all that stuff from the final sequence of the helicopters 
No idea about any of that. You know, no Me idea either. it would be like that. In fact, and, the the poster as I walked into the the film, the poster is of Tom Cruise's face in a in a mask jumping out of a, a plane. And uh, after that sequence, I went, okay, well, that's the big cruise stunt. Yes, I guess we're past that. <laughs> Not knowing that I would see him underneath a helicopter yeah. above mountains. Uh, so I love rad. how the skydive is basically an incidental stunt. They didn't yeah. even need to do that. Yo, like, why why are you haloing onto a building in a city? Like, there's no security. This isn't like a, a military compound. You're you're jumping onto you know what what was it like just a theater or yeah, just yeah. like a let, normal? Let's uh, come on. Let, let's talk. Let's talk about each. So um, I'm not going to read a plot summary, but I, what I would like to do is talk about like kind of each sequence, right? In general, right? So we've already talked about how the opening of the film. Uh, is is a little bit slow. It gets off a little bit slower uh, than other films have gotten off. Mm-hmm. And um, th- this whole thing with the apostles is just complete nonsense. It's not revisited at all in any meaningful way. You know, like, why would these guys yeah. form a group called the apostles? Like, who even knows any of that? <laughs> um, they have this plutonium. You know, I- I'd encourage, by the way, if you want to figure out how little movie this how little this movie makes sense is think about who has the plutonium at all times during this movie <laughs> yeah yeah and, and that is very difficult to keep track of because i don't think there's a good answer for that um but listening to christopher mcquarrie do the uh, q a podcast with jeff goldsmith one of my favorite podcasts you hear about how he made the movie and it is insane in the slash filmcast slack someone referred to it as like uh Christopher McQuarrie makes Mission Impossible movies like Judd Apatow makes comedies, right? Like, we're just going to pick a place, throw all these elements together, and hope it works. Uh, there's no <laughs> final script for this thing that's written, you know? Um, the way he, he talked about the logic, it sounds unbelievable. On, on the one hand, it's unbelievable. On the other hand, it's like, okay, I guess that makes sense, right? Um, but he's like, okay, they want to do – like, Tom Cruise wants to fly a helicopter and do a tailspin. Right, <laughs> and there's only one country in the world that will allow him to do that, and it's New Zealand. It's it's, it's like reverse engineering an action film. Yes, it's, yes, uh-huh. it's the cool. It's the coolest thing. It's like, what does Tom want to do, and what can we? What has never been done? <laughs> right. What and and like let's work backwards from that. Right. And he, was like, and he was talking about how like okay, so New Zealand is a place where they're they'll actually allow them to do that, and it's like okay, well. Uh, would there be any reason they have to go to New Zealand? No. <laughs> so uh, in New Zealand, not a place of international intrigue. So uh, what place looks like New Zealand? Kashmir, right? Why would they be in Kashmir? And like so on and so forth. Like why would Michelle Monaghan be in Kashmir? And just like reverse engineering the entire thing from there. It sounds A, amazing, and B, like an extremely stressful experience to work on one of these movies. The, the, the <laughs> yeah. behind the scenes uh, stuff Sorry. from the Blu-ray uh, for, for uh, Rogue Nation y- yes. has the same kind of explanation for, you know, they were sitting around, uh, he and Tom were sitting around talking about how like there's never been like an extended underwater sequence in one of these kinds <laughs> of movies. Like – uh, so they contrived this entire underwater <laughs> cooling. Th- it's such bullshit. And it's like, yeah, no, we need to put it underwater to cool the thing just to get Tom to hold his breath for six and a half minutes. It's yeah. like it's the, it's the craziest thing. And yet somehow it doesn't come out looking like an utter nonsense show. It actually holds together as a fun film. Yeah. yeah. Next movie, Tom Cruise is like, can I kill a man on camera? Can I just like, can, is that OK? Patrick, what yeah, you uh, last night, I actually decided to listen to the commentary track for Rogue Nation, which yes. I hadn't before, and it was blowing my mind because 
it, it's just Macquarie and Cruz, and they're talking about making this movie, and it basically feels like a whole improv experiment where like every single scene uh, you'll have these characters talking about something and they'll say like, and on the commentary they'll be saying like, yeah, we didn't actually know what the story was. So this part where they're just like looking at a screen, we figured we'd put, we didn't know what was going to be on the screen because we didn't know what like the actual threat was. So we figured that out later. And, uh, and then we like, we got a shot of Ving saying, I got it. And we didn't know what he actually got, but we figured that out later. And then they'll like go back and, like reshoot an insert where a character will actually like state some important information like a month later once they'd figured out that element of the story. And I'm just watching this being like, how does this movie work at all? It, yeah. This is it, it's insane. And I, like I know the biggest even, like, jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, right. They're just making it up as they're going. And it's like, I mean, I'm more convinced than ever that Macquarie is a genius because th- there's no other way that that you know anyone could pull off this movie right. and actually yeah. have it be coherent like they say you know the, he's making it up where it's kind of like improv but like the the machinations of what's happening is still like exists somewhere in that brain of his right like he can't just it's not just throwing paint at the wall there is a method to this madness yeah right. you know I, I i think the key thing is that there is like there is an emotional through line like you know how the characters are feeling and what they and like generally what they want even if the specifics of like the object that they want aren't clear yet and i think he's really good at that and so you follow the characters even if like the specifics of exactly what they're doing don't really matter yeah yeah. i I will say that this early sequence that we're talking about uh as we sort of get into the movie and the first uh trick that happens to find out you know that the, to get the location of the plutonium uh, and tricking that that doctor into thinking that the world has uh, experienced three nuclear explosions, uh, I've I was like really movie. I, I, it kind of it got me. Uh-huh. And I, what what I liked about it was the fact that the title of the movie conspires to make me yep. think that that we're about to see a movie about the fallout of nuclear explosions. It's mm. like it has d- dual meanings that kind of work for the ruse at the beginning. Uh, but I also kind of felt like uh, the Wolf Blitzer thing was a, was a step too far for me. And it just felt it just felt like the wrong way to start this this movie off compared to how solid the beginnings are in all of the other ones. Almost. Disagree 100%. Uh, first of all, I want to mention like the, the scene before that, right? The, the emotional three line as Patrick refers to it, is like this idea that um, Ethan Hunt doesn't want to lose a single person. Right. Right. No, no, no man left behind. Like, Going back to the first movie. Right. Yeah. Right. Going back to the first movie where he lost his entire team in the first 10 minutes yep. of the movie. Right. Um, so he doesn't want to lose a single person and is willing to jeopardize the safety of the world order. In order to save a life, and um, whether or not you agree with that as a principle, which I don't, you know, um, yeah, yeah. at least the show, the movie commits to it, right? It, it really does commit to it throughout the entire. Like you're reminded of that philosophy multiple times, uh, both in subtle ways and, and overt ways. Um, and so, I just want to mention that, yeah, you know, the movie starts with that, and that kind of really creepy arms dealer that I was kind of bummed we didn't get to see more of. Uh, and then it has a scene where they're kind of tricking this doc- Dr. Niels de Brook into thinking that uh, the, the bomb has gone off. And 
right there, there is a clear homage to Mission Impossible 1 where they say the exact same line, right? Did we get it? Mm-hmm. We got it. I'm like, I'm having a Mission Impossible 1 flashback. This is already <laughs> the greatest movie of all time, five minutes in. The walls come down. The walls come down, and it's like, of course we got it. And then smash cut to opening credits. I'm like, I am so in. I love this movie so much. So Jeff, Actually, key detail, Benji yeah. finally got to wear a mask. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't make a big deal out of it. I, I wanted him to. Yeah, because right. he mentions in, yeah. in uh, Ghost Protocol that he really wanted to wear a mask, right? Yeah. Well, he wears two masks He wears two movie. masks. Two masks, yeah. So uh, maybe in the in the two years since the last one, he's just worn a lot of masks and it's his thing now? Yeah. Well, still, yeah. as a viewer, having heard those movies, him in those movies say over and over how much he wanted to, I was really hoping for payoff there, but... Right. A thing that I that, that I liked with uh, that sort of where it suddenly looks like, you know, there have been these nuclear explosions around the world. The movie does this a couple times where it suddenly leads you to believe it's it's entering much darker territory than it is. Mm. And so right there, I was feeling a little uneasy being like, whoa, that's a very yeah. extreme yeah. step to take early yeah. on. And it's a similar there's... thing not to like jump ahead too much, but there's a part where it looks like. Ethan is just murdering an innocent yep. person. And yep. again, I was like, whoa, that's that seems like a big step. And then it kind of pulls back from that. But again, like I, I liked uh, once the reveal came, how the movie was a sort of like toying with me like that. And mm-hmm. I and again, I, I trusted that it knew what it was doing. Yeah. So then uh, there's that opening scene at the airfield where you're introduced to Angela Bassett, head of CIA and her. Uh, her hammer, a.k.a. you know uh, Walker, uh, played by Henry Cavill. They go on the plane together. They do the halo jump. My jaw is on the floor because <laughs> yeah. uh, this whole sequence was done uh, to look as though it was one long continuous shot. In fact, it was three shots stitched together. And if you look at the, open, the, the behind the scenes, they actually did this uh, – some version of this in real life where uh, they only had a few minutes every day where they could do – they could attempt to shoot this in the air because it's not like once you once you shoot it uh it's not like you can just go back up and do it again they shot it at around sunset and so they um they wanted the light to to have that quality to it which is uh, just insane yeah. like shoot it the layer, hardest time of the day yeah, yeah to layer <laughs> that level of difficulty onto something that is already extraordinarily difficult and time consuming and nuts it's just like these guys man well these, i think I, you know it was mike uh <laughs> Mike Eisenberg on Twitter uh, tweeted at me. And, you know, I, I had a, I tweeted about like how it's incredible they actually went out and did all this stuff in real life. Um, and I, I do want to say a quick word about how they're marketing this movie. That kind of rubs me the wrong way. Which is very often um, when they do re- stunts for real or Tom Cruise does does stunts for real, um, they they have visual effects like on top of it, right? To to se- to sell it better and. Uh, I, I feel like they're kind of overselling the movie a little bit. Like it's it's like guys, like we understand you did crazy <laughs> stuff, but but they often like over represent how much of it was stunts versus visual effects, in my opinion. Um, and so I, I do feel like you know, uh, hey, like I already believe that this is an incredible you know piece of filmmaking. You don't need to like uh, stretch the truth, uh, you know, in terms of how much was stunts and how much like Tom Cruise is actually in danger. I don't believe he was actually in that much danger and so on. Um, but Mike Eisenberg tweeted at me, uh, quote, I'm trying to imagine the conversation about doing the halo jump for real, but then replacing almost the entire background. <laughs> how many times <laughs> must people have said, this is a really, this is a really cool idea, but why the hell are we doing this? <laughs> End quote. Right. I mean, they did the halo jump for real. Um, they had a guy, a camera person jump off with Tom, 
filming Tom with the camera strapped to his head. Um, but they replaced the entire background. So the, the question is, like, why would they do it? Um, why not just do it in some kind of, like, wind tunnel or something like that, you know? Right, right. So honestly, honestly I, I completely agree with that. And I really felt like, you know, you said your jaw was on the floor. I thought it was cool, especially how casually he just runs to the edge and leaps off. That, <laughs> that moment is really yeah. awesome. Yeah. But I thought, and in fact, in real time, as I was watching the movie for the first time, thinking this was the big cruise stunt, mm-hmm. going, this was wasted effort. <laughs> I, I honestly feel like it is a cool moment. It's a cool sequence. It do, it's not super impactful for the film. So it's not even like we got to break into this place and we got to do it this way. And then it's like this weird moment of these two guys trying to yeah. one up themselves. And there's it's manufactured crisis that we I don't care about because it's just two dudes being stupid. And <laughs> the the what you earn about them actually doing it is minimal because it doesn't it doesn't look like. Later on, when you see him underneath a helicopter, that's earned. Yes. That's like, holy right. shit. But <laughs> that, this, like, from my eye, I can tell the difference between Tom hanging on the side of a plane that's taking off from a landing strip. I can't tell the difference between Tom falling, plummeting to earth and being inside a wind tunnel. Like, I can't mm-hmm. tell. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like I, it, I don't. I'm not thrilled by this in the way that I should be based on how difficult it was for them to do it. It took them one year to get this shot, you know, and yeah. uh, one year of work of like figuring it out. Uh, I, I express it as a reverse Uncanny Valley. Uncanny Valley is when you get so close to what it actually looks like, but it's not exactly the same thing so that um, you, you just don't you, – your body rejects it as being accurate. Uh, this is the opposite for me. This looks like so dangerous – I don't believe they actually did it, but in fact, <laughs> right. they actually did it in real life. They did some version of it in real life. Patrick uh, McQuarrie was on? also talking about, by the way, that the focus puller yes. was also jumped out too and had to do that whole thing without like without a monitor, yeah. without like determining, <laughs> like just, just by eye, just by eye while you're falling through the sky, making sure the camera's in focus. Right, so the, the way, yeah, the just way, knowing okay. like how far away yeah. that uh, like cruise is and like where to turn the focus knob on the lens to. That's, that's insane yeah, to me. And the, 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 the focus makeup puller... lady had to, had to go out too. The makeup lady was just like <laughs> touching him up on the way down. It was crazy. There's two focus pullers apparently. And, and basically, um, you know, for, for those who don't know, usually the person who's like holding the camera uh, there's often a separate person who is pulling focus, making sure um, the the subject isn't focused on screen. Um, and they usually have a monitor, and it's usually very controlled. But the, here, they're in a plane. The focus puller hands the focus device off to the camera person, who jumps out of the plane, followed by Tom Cruise jumping out of the plane, and then is pulling focus by feel because he has no monitor. Um, so that's how they executed that. And the uh, viewer can decide whether it was worth it. Patrick, what did you think of the the Halo jump sequence? I'm sort of a little bit, uh, Dave, between you and Jeff, where I kind of agree with Jeff that um, this doesn't have the the urgency and and the stakes of most of the other big stunts. It is a little bit of a manufactured crisis. But at the same time, to me, the function this serves in the movie is it's kind of like its mission statement, like (laughs) – this isn't like we're going to do this impossibly insane stunt for just 
like transport, like uh, or just like ha- how for just them traveling to a place. Right. Not even for for this isn't even a set piece. This is just like <laughs> yeah. we're going to do something so so nuts and jaw dropping, just as as a, a means of getting to <laughs> this uh, is our Uber story. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. I like how nobody questions it. Like, there's no there's no easier way to do this. Uh, I don't know, guys. Yeah, you can like mean, take it, the it, channel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, they say there's half an hour, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, yeah, I guess if they like landed a private jet somewhere they then still have to take a car to the actual place so it is faster but uh but like i i kind of like that crazy thing about this movie that they're gonna just immediately drop you into this this stunt that you've never seen before that that is so huge for a movie to pull off just uh yeah literally just as as like an announcement right up front like this is how crazy things are gonna get (laughs) yeah like like, this this doesn't even matter yeah and and that's followed up in the so halo i believe stands for high altitude low open it's like a very uh intense jump it's basically how you infiltrate foreign countries without you them knowing about it i i believe is my understanding based on the behind the scenes features and uh and they arrive at um uh, this uh huge and very famous venue right in in uh paris uh the grand palais i believe right um and there's like 5000 people in this club for uh what seems like four shots that they needed for you know what i mean and it's just like you know john hammond in jurassic park spared no expense for just a freaking background shot uh so you know they get down there um in the trailers you see there's this whole originally this whole sequence of him getting down there that was very dangerous but there was so much action in the movie they had to cut some of it uh and then they get into this extremely beautiful haunting white bathroom uh where they're trying to find john lark and this amazing fistfight sequence uh, occurs where Liang Yang, who plays John Lark, uh, he also – I believe he's one of the like guards in Last Jedi, those red-garbed guards in uh, Last Jedi. Um, he fights them in this incredible hand-to-hand fight sequence. Uh, and it, it is just like so raw. And makes such creative use of the environment, like using a pipe as an extremely dangerous weapon. Uh, I, I thought it was a, a really bold way of getting the movie started. Any the guy, a guy that can reach out and grab a pipe <laughs> from the wall and literally pull it out with just his rip bare it hands. out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, really good stuff. Um, I'm I'm also super impressed that Henry Cavill is in this movie and at no time takes his shirt off. <laughs> like, how do you cast Henry Cavill and keep him in a suit and tie the entire movie? I don't I don't know. But, I think uh, I saw on a, in an interview that he was relieved that because he takes his shirt off in, in like all the, ba- the Superman movies, right? So he's like <laughs> relieved that he doesn't need to work out quite as much. I, I'm sure Tom Cruise is like, yeah, Henry, just keep it on. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, cool. it's, it's cool. Also, Cruise isn't shirtless in one of these movies for like yes. the first time in forever. And, yeah, uh, yeah. We can all, you know, we're all very thankful for for both of those things. So, um, anyway, they uh, they kill the guy. Ilsa comes in, shoots the guy in the face, um, and then they meet the White Widow, which is just like I, I thought, like a pretty silly sequence. Apparently, by the way, uh, there was a deleted scene where they walk in and the White Widow is actually singing a song. Um, so that sequence where like he walks in and she's at the microphone. Initially, she's actually singing in that scene. Um, I think that would make a little more sense than what uh, happened. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, you find out that the White Widow is actually Max's daughter, Max from the first film. Which um, I love. Yeah. 
great. I, I love all the fan service elements in this movie because you you don't need to have seen the other films. Like if right. if you don't see the other films, it's just texture. It, it's just texture. It's just texture. So it it doesn't I, stop the movie. It's yes. literally she's like literally off screen. You hear her mention Max. Yeah, I but totally I think, missed it the first time I saw the movie too. Somebody had to mention that to me after. Yeah, I think as you're describing it, Dave, it is very clear for me as to why I was not feeling this movie through the early sequences. Like we've sort of talked about how the stuff is cool, but the, the jump out of the plane just feels like almost unnecessary. The fight in the bathroom is awesome and really, really fun. But that whole, everything feels a little odd and, and unnecessary. And like the, as they march out of that sequence and he fights people in plain sight of all of these dinner yeah. guests, it just all didn't, nothing quite was clicking for me. It, it's at, really silly because she is theoretically a high profile socialite. Mm-hmm. And then at one point she like takes out a knife and stabs <laughs> a dude in the chest in the chest, in front like of dead 50 people. Heart. Yes. <laughs> And like no, the newspapers aren't reporting about this. You know, they're, they're in a building with like five thousand other people. It just it's, yeah. yeah. Listen, it's a very private dinner. Okay, <laughs> very private. Ostensibly pretending to be someone else and doing these ridiculous things. I mean, I guess he's seen John Lark can do that kind of stuff, so he's he's cool with it. But it just seemed like a such a bizarre way to go undercover and in front of dozens and dozens if not hundreds right. of people in that room and be ostentatious and over the top i mean clearly they were going to kill him it just the whole sequence conceptually felt off to yeah, me and, right. and by that in this by that point in the movie i was like i don't know if i'm feeling this this film mm. it, it totally recaptured me very soon thereafter but i just want to be clear that that's one of the reasons why i don't think this is the best of the mission impossible i think i, I kind of i kind of hear you there jeff too like yeah. it was the uh, for me the opening was fantastic. I was expecting like a big action set piece or something, and we didn't get that. We got like a much slower thing and a really cool Mission Impossible twist. But then I kind of appreciated the fact that you know this is such an inventive opening, and he did cram a whole movie in there. Um, yeah, the Halo jump. You think about that, and just like how unnecessary it is, it kind of reminds me of like uh, Spectre or something, and like how that you know that movie had a lot of big extended set pieces it didn't really mean much of anything at least though um like i think it reconnects we i feel like we're skipping past the bathroom fight the bathroom fight is very good it is fantastic it's so like it's great action it's a well-staged set piece but also tells you so much about these two characters and like who they are um just by how they're moving right this is our big action introduction to henry cavill's character uh we see him being a dick during the halo jump there is that and being kind of useless um, but this is our big thing. Um, you see the guns, uh, you see him like reloading his arms, which, uh, we were all freaking out about, uh, in the trailer world for a while. Um, just, just that whole fight, I think just really rejuvenated the film for me. So well, even also, if the max stuff, yeah. Yeah. I mean, also like Angela Bassett's, you know, the, you, you prefer a scalpel, like I prefer a hammer and right, then right. you see an extremely tangible demonstration <laughs> of that right yeah. after is it's it's a great piece of characterization in it's addition so to being a it's great a, choreographed fight yeah there's the yeah, great no, little it, moment where uh ethan is supposed to just like you know uh like what is it his little needle to like uh yeah. just like 
drug the guy and, uh, and it doesn't <laughs> yeah. work. And so, so Cavill just uses the com- like the mask making computer to just like smash him upside the head and knock it's him out. It's kind of it, an important computer though. Like, right. On. And, but, yeah. but okay. I mean, and I, I love this whole sequence because it, I, I, to me, it's so representative of what this series does well, which is it, it, it constantly like cr- introduces like uh, new obstacles and new challenges and new problems to the action. And so much of it comes from character. And so like their, their plan is to just, uh, you know, like, uh, knock the guy out uh, just with like this little injection and then copy his face and then I'll uh, make a mask and just sneak in there and then the whole thing falls apart and they have to <laughs> improvise and there's there's the good little moment when Ilsa's there and uh, and and Cavill's like what hope that's your plan she goes oh you must be new and that yeah, and, so and that was a thing so my sort of take on Cavill in the first half before like the his actual motives are inevitable reveal. Yeah. Right. Is I feel like he's kind of like the Frank Grimes of this movie. Mm. Yes. Uh, From the Simpsons. Grimes call out. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, there's the the Simpson episode, Homer's enemy where a a new guy, not familiar with the world, uh, arrives and is like, how are you all still alive? Like, how do you, (laughs) how how do you not realize that Homer Simpson is an idiot? I mean, that is certainly the most idealized Frank Grimes, right? He's not, (laughs) A skinny pencil pusher. He is like this Adonis, but yes, exactly. Um, but he's yeah, there, and, yeah. and he's just like, "This is how we, the IMF yeah. does things." Like this Th- is that's absurd. basically why he turned. Like he heard these stories about the IMF. Like, I can't be part of this or this like this <laughs> government. What's right. going on over here? Uh, one thing I did want to point out too, like it is hilarious seeing Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill like side by side, and just like how much bigger and buffer he is. Oh. Do you guys remember Man from Uncle and like yeah. how much bigger Army Hammer was? Then Henry Cavill, like imagine seeing Tom Cruise, uh, Henry Cavill and Army Hammer, like all in the line. Uh, that movie will never happen because, no. then Tom, yeah, our, our perspective of Tom Cruise will severely be warped forever. I, I will say Macquarie has made really good use of Cruise's height in a way yeah. that people yeah. don't usually like. There's the really good moment in Rogue Nation during the opera sequence yeah. when he's like fighting the guy on yeah. like the scaffolding and the guy stands up and just looms and over him. And uh, and yeah, like I, I'm glad that, you know, Cruise is OK to like with looking short mm-hmm. and uh, and they, they just in these action sequences make good use of, of his height compared to, you know, these Adonises next to him. Yeah. Also, like the fact that Ethan Hunt is like, there's that moment when the Asian dude is like really just ready to get back into it, and Ethan Hunt's like <laughs> needs to catch his breath for a moment. Like you really yeah. feel the, you know, uh, he they get punched it, like, in the neck a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they play it so that Ethan Hunt gets tired and worn out, and and I think that uh, you know adds to his quasi humanity when he's not running 500 miles an hour. Um, but yeah, so this... I think it's also one of the most violent moments in in the entire franchise. It's getting shot in the face to the point where he doesn't have a face anymore. Right? Yeah. You know? right. We, don't, we don't see it, but just knowing what happened and seeing that puddle of blood as they drag him into the stall, it's like, oh, the, this you know, the series doesn't really go there. You know, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, I like how they kind of got around the limits of the PG thirteen rating, where like they couldn't show blood on his face. But they can show just a separate pool of blood on the yeah. floor, and uh, and so yeah, so it's it's, it's like the, 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 they could still show the violence of it, but in a creative way to get around the rating restrictions. Indeed, indeed. So then they go to the uh, White Widow's house, and uh, her brother kind of explains the plan, which is they got to extract da, 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 Solomon Lane. Uh, and uh, use him to trade for the plutonium. Which, by the way, uh, who has the plutonium at this point? The, the apostles. So they give they give them one. They give them one plutonium. They have the yes. other two. 
Why? Yes. Why would they? I, I think. Why you know, would they do that? Is it just, just like, like a payment, half payment up front? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> yeah. I've got to figure it out in terms of the plutonium. Okay. So like the the apostles have like been in contact with John Lark, who wants to make the bombs, and and this whole arrangement being brokered by the White Widow is just to to get the plutonium from the apostles to John Lark, in exchange for Solomon Lane. Right. But right. like. The idea that they would go, here's enough to make one nuclear bomb. (laughs) If you want two more nuclear bombs, you're going to have to do what we need. It's like, I'm good with one nuclear bomb. But but, but here's here's the question. The the question, Patrick, is like, why don't they just get Solomon Lane themselves? You know, like, (laughs) why do they need this wild card? Because we find out that Henry Cavill is John Lark. You know what I mean? And so... Anyway, it feels like introducing a whole bunch of variables into this. I, I, I'm still not quite convinced that's a well thought out plan. But yeah. but in any case, uh, yeah, it makes sense if you know you're dealing with the Impossible Mission team. It doesn't make sense if you know if you think you're dealing with some guy named John Lark. Yeah, you know. But but I will say that this this does allow us to have one of probably the most artful sequences in in the film, which is you see the imagined raid as it would occur, right? With no no sound effects, and uh, just like Lauren Balfe's like enigmatic you know score in the background, and uh, I, I mean, did you guys think that was actually happening when they showed it? Because uh, I, I did actually, yeah, yeah. I, I thought, I thought it was actually I, happening, and I was I was mad because I was like, they made such a big deal about him not wanting to sacrifice even one life, and here we are, he's so quickly quick to turn it. Yeah, it got me. Yeah, it got, and uh, I hearing Christopher McQuarrie talk about it on the Q and A podcast, he was saying how. Uh, his editor was saying, "Dude, you got to have sound effects in this in this section." And he said, "No, you can't because if you have sound effects and then you then reveal that it was all a vision, like the audience will feel cheated." You know, mm. uh, and I do agree one hundred percent. Like if there had been sound effects and then they just called it back at the last second, right, right. Um, I think you would have felt cheated. The, this is not a Guy Ritchie was... movie where we were like re-reversing and doing all <laughs> sorts of weird time stuff. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was beautifully, beautifully done and um, just like a lovely sequence. But then, but then, what's amazing is, and uh, the movie does this a couple times. It kind of sets up this puzzle because they've already shown you the imagined way of doing it, and so you know that when they actually show it in real life, they're not going to do it that way. Um, and so they do it a different way where Tom Cruise rams the truck off of the bridge, you know, into the water, followed by one of the most impressive visuals in the film, which is of Solomon Lane and that water level, like yeah. going in all these yeah. different crazy directions. Freaking amazing. Yeah. That breath he takes before going under is oh. so horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. he's in a straight jacket. It's like, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah. And it's so representative of just like what, these movies just like how did they go above and beyond because like they could have just had it the thing fill up with water yes. but it's like no in mission impossible the truck is going to roll over while he is tied <laughs> to the chair and so a wall of water will like like come at his face yeah, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's so much face, tougher but like, to pull off but like tilt and go in different directions before coming at right. his face you know uh, it's not just going to come at his face from a single unified direction and uh, that's incredible. Then you have this huge chase sequence, and um, uh, you know that's they actually pretty... repeat a gag from the man from Uncle. Uh, yep. What's which one is that? Uh, when when the truck gets stuck between the two buildings mm. uh, in the car the chase window. early on in that movie, uh, I believe yep. the car Cavill's driving does the same thing. And then you you have Tom Cruise driving a, a motorcycle through. The mo- some of the most iconic locations in Paris. It's insane. 
Uh, I, I don't I, think it holds a candle to the motorcycle chase in Rogue Nation, though. It, it doesn't. Although I really like the idea of the going against traffic in the roundabout thing, because I don't think I've ever seen that before. It's, ama- it's yeah. amazing. The Arc it, de Triomphe, it's, it's like yeah. an all-timer shot, in my opinion. Like, it is... Yeah. That, that is such an iconic location and the way they show it. Uh, I mean, I like <laughs> this, this movie was like, you know, Dave Chen's honeymoon, you know, the, the movie tour. Like they, they, <laughs> there's so many places I saw that it's like, I can't imagine how they'd even shoot an action scene here that they managed to pull it off in mission impossible fallout is incredible. So, uh, and big motorcycle chase sequence, you know, Tom Cruise gets hit by a car and rolls over and he takes out a knife and you're like, what's going on here? And you know, uh, dives into the sewer, uh, cutting open the grating. Very, very cool stuff. Um, anything else you want to say about this chase sequence before we move on? I, I thought it was very good, but it sounds like you guys were less impressed. Well, it's well, good, and also, like, I, I am certainly impressed by it, but not as much as, like, the Rogue Nation thing is just so, it is kind of an all-timer for me. Like, as yeah. a chase, as a, how it's constructed, like, seeing him uh, going high speed without pads or anything, like that, yeah. that little shot where he, like, hits the road with his knee, uh, just like, yeah, that that felt real and kind of, I guess, just much more dangerous than this one, too. Uh, do you want to say, too, I like the... Uh, so I saw this movie last week, but I believe, like, Rebecca Ferguson, like, she is she is there during that whole sequence, too. And, like, just being part of the... Uh, isn't she, like, helping to, like... Uh, She's trying to assassinate him. Yeah, yeah to, assassinate to assassinate him, too. Him, yeah. So she, I like the getting her back in and getting, like, her... I, I like her coming back in and they're at cross purposes again. So that whole like cat and mouse game. And so like the police are after them. She's after them. The other guys, you know, uh, from Max's daughter, like they're, you know, they're a part of this too. Like it's all, it's all, there's so many balls up in the air. Yeah. My favorite stuff in that, in the whole Paris stretch is actually after the motorcycle part, just the, the car chase where Ilsa's mm-hmm. chasing them on the motorcycle, trying to kill yes. Lane who's yes. in the car, uh, that part is is really great. And there's there's one moment that I can't get out of my head where Ilsa turns off and goes down like this narrow corridor with all these these pillars. Yeah. And and there's there's this profile shot, shot with like a really long lens, like moving along with her, where the sound design like creates like this whooshing sound for like every pillar yep. going yeah. by. Yep. And yep. It, the, the speed that they communicate there is astounding yes. and I, I just thought that was a beautiful piece of filmmaking mm-hmm. agreed uh, completely there's also that moment with um the uh cop right who discovers oh, yeah. them as they're about to leave uh yeah you know which like pro tip make sure someone checks the exit before you open up the car door <laughs> garage you know with the uh, person with the head the sack over his head um and what i really liked about that scene is uh, there's a moment where they're like you know finish off the uh, uh, the cop and the, this guy steps into frame the exact same framing that you see ethan hunt in an earlier sequence where he's about to shoot a cop in the right, dream right. sequence mm-hmm, except yeah. in this instance Ethan murders that dude who is about to kill the cop and then shoots yeah. everyone else as well. And uh, I it was like th- a great Western situation too. Like it was a fast draw situation. So fast draw, that, and, the, that, and the way he kills that co- the 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 way he murders the cop, the you know, as, yeah. uh, aspiring cop killer is like a rejection <laughs> of like aspiring cop killer <laughs> is oh, like a rejection. It's, we all have you know. to have dreams. I guess. Yes, that's I right. love uh, that whole sequence. Though is like is a that is Ethan Hunt in short film form. Right. Like they're yeah. they're doing a mission. Something is not going according to plan. Uh, oh, no, the authorities are here. What what will he do? He will murder the people to save, you know, the good person, you know, sensibly. Yeah. Right. And 
I did love that for, it's so rare in the series to actually have just like a regular person show yeah. up. Like yep. they, they drive by and run by uh, and fly by a million civilians, but we never actually focus on any of them, like reacting to what's going on. And I, I just really appreciated that we got that. And, um, and actually one thing that I, I wanted to say at some point, but I guess this seems like the, the best time because we're talking about Ethan Hunt and his reaction to this situation is um, I feel like this movie in a way like through Ethan Hunt is about the way Tom Cruise makes movies mm -hmm. and the way that uh, like, you know, with Ethan Hunt, he's, he's constantly faced with these situations like, you know, the original plan given to him to like extract Lane uh, where that's the way they're supposed to do it. And he's like, no, there's a better way that uh, that's much tougher but but it's going to work. And the way that like Cavill's character keeps being like, why don't you just do these things the normal way and just like shoot the people? And he's like, no, I have a better way. And this mm -hmm. is like the way Cruz makes Mission Impossible movies where it's like there is the usual way of making blockbusters where we use CGI and stunt people and fake it all. But he's like, no, I'm going to try harder and I'm going to like 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 work a lot harder and do things in the more difficult way. But it will be better and it will create a better experience. And so, so kind of in the way that I, I feel like Rogue Nation was kind of about just like why these movies are great. Like Alec Baldwin is trying to shut them down and the end realizes, oh, wait, no, these are awesome. We should keep doing these. <laughs> and I feel like this movie is just kind of like a, a like a celebration of of this biz bizarre, insane way of making these movies the way nobody else does right now. Indeed. Indeed. Well said, Patrick. Um, so then they end up in London. And there's that underground sequence with Alec Baldwin, the fake out with the masks. Um, Can I? I want to talk about this sequence. Yes, first mm -hmm. of all. Jeff, because take it I think this has got to be a, a cinematic record for the <laughs> most double crosses in one scene. It has to be. I stepped through it and see if you, if you guys can. I feel like this. Austin Powers may have overdone it too, but I, I, don't, I know. don't know. I don't know. <laughs> here's here's what I came to see if I'm forgetting any. Tom Cruise double crosses Alec Baldwin. Mm -hmm. uh, Superman, what's his name? Uh, what's the character's name? Walker. Uh, Walker. Well, Walker. Walker double crosses Tom Cruise. Lane double crosses Walker because <laughs> it's really Benji. Walker double crosses Benji. Alec Baldwin double crosses Walker. Angela Bassett double crosses Walker. Angela Bassett double crosses Alec Baldwin. And then Walker double crosses everyone. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Yeah, that is good. in one scene. All those double crosses happen, yeah. and we, the audience, the whole time are like, "What?" What? My uh, my audience started clapping. Like when that started coming <laughs> together. Like when when yeah when Walker realized what was happening, it was just like whoops up in the air, like for what was going on there. So that's eight double crosses in one scene, or as I would call it. <laughs> An octuple cross. Mm, nice, oh. nice. It's beautiful. It, it yeah. was a pretty rough sequence of, of uh, dialogue. Like It's just a, a pure exposition dump that uh, Walker has sure. to do explaining the dynamics of what's been going on to that point. And I, I don't actually believe that that character wrote that manifesto. I mean, like nothing we've seen of that character, in my opinion, leads you to believe I, that he would be... I want to see that character hold a pen. Yeah. And just like, <laughs> oh, broke it again. Broke it again. Uh, he'd, like, it. he'd like snap broke the pencil in his hands. Uh, but yeah, apparently he wrote the manifesto and he's working with Solomon Lane to like get the plutonium. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's the real John Lark. Uh, Alec Baldwin goes up against him, which is like one of the worst ideas ever. Why would you ever try to fight Superman guys? It's just really <laughs> dumb. Uh, 
Um, yeah. But in both uh, or all the times I've seen the movie, people gasp when Alec Baldwin died, which I think like is a testament yeah. to the film's ability to make you feel something for that character, which is like basically sure. a nothing bureaucrat character. Well, let's not forget, like the head of IMF is basically the professor of the dark arts, right? That, that person <laughs> is dead or will be disappeared by the next movie. So the fact that we got Alec Baldwin in, in, uh, in two it's, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. He, he's had and the best friend. I will say, bring back Lawrence Fishburne, please. <laughs> I'm still rooting for, like, uh, uh, Kittredge from the first movie. He's my favorite director still. Uh, I, I agree. Whatever happened to Kittredge, you know? Anyway. Yeah. Um, so then uh, the chase sequence through the streets of London occurs, which is very funny. And do you guys know... What came to mind when I watched this chase sequence? I've seen it three times. It, it is actually, uh, you know, really well shot, well edited, well performed. Uh, Tom Cruise broke his ankle, like shattered his ankle during the filming of this sequence. And is it the, the leap that he does? Uh, that big leap, yeah. And he did yeah. a bit on the Graham Norton show where you can watch him break his ankle and see, hear him describing it. And uh, mm-hmm. it's horrifying. Um, and, uh, he, the shot where he breaks his ankle is actually in the film, like him getting up and limping away. Uh, that's actually in the film. He collapsed apparently off camera and then told everyone like he knew it was broken cause he knows what broken bones feels like he says. And he's like, yeah. all right, we got, everyone's got to go home for the day. Cause, um, <laughs> you know, they're not going to shoot anymore. Uh, it's incredible. But the, the, anyway, what I was reminded of, have you guys seen chariots of fire? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Liddell says in that film, quote, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure, end quote. And Dude, watching Tom Cruise run across those rooftops. Yes, it's like, is. this is what you were born to do. You're seeing someone yeah. doing what he was born to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> just... Running this, top speed for our pleasure. The yeah. music is soaring. It's this, you're seeing all of London's greatest landmarks in the background. That shot where he's running along the Thames, I I feel like, is the fastest he's ever run in a movie. It is so beautiful. The dude's 56 years old. He can still move, man. And it's the the locations he's running. And then this is one scene. He breaks into, uh, I think it's the, um, is it St. Paul's Cathedral? It's that massive church. Um, Sorry if I'm getting that wrong. It's it's this very famous cathedral. People in the chat room, please please correct me. Um, But... uh, that one shot must have cost like a million dollars. You know what I mean? Because there's like <laughs> yeah. there's like five hundred extras in that shot, and all of them are costumed. You know, in, it's, it's just a gag. It's yeah, just it's just a gag. Just for this one shot. This shot lasts maybe twenty seconds, thirty seconds. You know, <laughs> and it's like, wow. Chris is like, I just want to interrupt a funeral. Yeah, make it happen. Yeah, I I, I don't want to. I know we've talked a lot about his running. I want to talk a little bit more about his running, please, because. Okay. I would define it's so easy to sit in that theater and watch him sprint across the rooftops like that to, to a 56 year old guy. I would defy 90 percent of the people listening, including us, to sprint that distance one time at yeah. top speed just, <laughs> just to make the whole distance to, to run flat out as fast as you can uh, that far. And, and I'm sure you don't just shoot it once, you know, the dude, that is a, an extremely long way to sprint. Uh, there's a, it's a big wide shot. It's an unedited single cut, a single shot, single take of him sprinting the, an extraordinarily long distance at full speed. It's like, 
It's cool, man. Just to watch a person <laughs> run. It's, it's great. It's cool. I think yeah. there's one shot where he is just like tiny in the frame and like yeah. just all of London is around him. It looks like a freaking like endless runner. <laughs> and uh, I, I, did, I did tweet like, man, where where is the Mission Impossible endless runner? I just want to like control Ethan Hunt. I want to like run and jump with him from my phone. Make it happen. Yeah. Endless and runner is, a, about... is a style of game for those who don't know. And, yeah. yeah. But... And when you think about what we've been talking about earlier in the episode about how they conceive of these movies a set piece to set piece i just love the idea that they sat around and went let's do one where you're just fucking running <laughs> you know let's just have you run i just love that and you maybe you'll jump a couple of times and you'll find yourself in a building and you're gonna leap out of it you're just running you're just gonna run after a guy it's so great i mean that's I basically it. the climax of three where he just right. runs across all of china right. that's yep. true but but that one is like how do you navigate this chaotic uh, terrain? Right. I mean, th- th- this, this is just this is like a progression of that. Yeah, yeah. This is just go, go forward. He's just like, I'm going to catch up to this dude instead of you know, like, how do I get around? How am I going to go from place to place? I, I know. I, I just conceptually, I just love that they went. It, it's it's going to be entertaining enough to see you move <laughs> forward at top speed. <laughs> and, and there's this moment when Benji's like, you're right, you're right on top of him, go, go, go. And like, I feel like the audience is like, you know, Benji's the audience surrogate at that moment, yeah. you know? It's just like, you're, you're, you've got him, just go, you've got him, you know? like, And the music is like reaching its peak at that point. It is a, it, it is a great moment. Um, and he enters the Tate Modern, which, uh, have any of you been to the Tate Modern? Uh, Modern yeah, I was actually there earlier this year. It, it is one of the most impressive like domineering monolithic structures i've ever seen in my life right it's like it used to be an industrial building it is so huge and so the fact that they culminate that scene with like tom cruise you know at the top of it uh while a helicopter flies away is incredible like it's it's it elevates these action movie visuals to an art form almost um patrick what do you think of like i i assume you were also impressed but let me know if you weren't I, I absolutely was. And uh, I I will say when I saw that they were going to the Tate Modern, having just been there not that long ago, I was thinking like, ooh, I wonder if uh, the same exhibit I saw is going to be there and we'll see it and he'll <laughs> run past it. And uh, and then they went in a side door and went up the elevator. And um, but yeah, I, I just I mean, I, I could watch Tom Cruise run forever. He is the living manifestation of destiny. Uh, <laughs> But I, but yeah, I mean, I, I loved it all, and I, I really liked the moment when he's, of course, clinging to the bottom of the yeah. elevator as he would when I, you know, when Cavill kind of ups his villain game and pulls out the photo of Michelle Monaghan, and so the, the the stakes, as they always do in these movies, just like ratchet up another notch. Yeah, and Henry Cavill leaves Tom Cruise alive because he wants him to take the credit for the nuclear attacks that are going to happen because that's super important for when the world order has been massively, you know, right. uh, I don't really buy it. <laughs> I'm going to just say that like, but you know, whatever it, it gets us to the final place, which is in Kashmir. Uh, I think New Zealand is standing in for it. It's so beautiful. These, uh, establishing shots. And, um, and the, there's this, uh, Chekhov's smallpox outbreak, which was introduced in the uh, in the first you know opening mission description scene, where like it's like the apostles have created this smallpox outbreak in Kashmir. It's like, huh? I wonder why they only mentioned this one thing that the apostles did. Uh, turns out you're going to go there at the end of the movie, um, and you know I don't know. There's many things to say about the ending, uh, this kind of sequence before we even before we get to the helicopters. 
Uh, I feel like the introduction of Michelle Monaghan, that exchange that they have of like, does he know? And this like kind of shorthand they have of like communicating, I thought was really neat. Um, mm-hmm. This my favorite when- part of that moment where they where they <laughs> they have that like really emotional exchange, and then they leave, and you just see Tom, Tom Cruise running like, away in the running background, away <laughs> urgently. Uh, it's so funny. It's pretty. I, I don't know if it was intentionally hilarious, but um, <laughs> I thought it was very funny. Um, and. Uh, and you kind of get the whole backstory, like of Michelle Monaghan, uh, what has happened with her, with like Wes Bentley explaining how they met and everything, and being you know, playing this super nice, oblivious dude. Uh, oh, and we did actually skip over the scene from London when Luther explains to Ilsa, yes, what happened with uh, Ethan's wife. Yes, so and, good. Which is which is basically like he kind of fills in a bunch of the backstory. Yeah, it's it's like this movie's version of the destiny quote that you just said from. <laughs> Uh, Alec Baldwin. It's like it's like <laughs> Ethan is Jesus Christ and the Easter Bunny all rolled into one. <laughs> yeah, he is, he's uh, it's so great. I, yeah, I did think I did think Luther got some very nice moments in this movie. You know, explaining the backstory and like saying like I'm in we're in this mess because like Ethan tried to save my life. Then later on, when they're disarming the bomb, you know, Luther. There's that moment when Luther's like, "Go be with your husband." You know, like we're all. Everything's gonna be completely screwed. You might as well enjoy the last few moments of your life. It's there's these very tender moments that Luther gets in in this movie, and That's I really appreciated nice. them. Yeah, I think somebody tweeted maybe in that Matt Dollar site, like whatever is in his contract, so that he just doesn't move at all <laughs> in these movies. Like that is something that is like because yeah. from the beginning too, it's mainly Luther at a computer or Luther in the truck. Or Luther or something, something like it's Luther not moving. So it's just kind of hilarious. I love that we still have him in this. There's the part in Rogue Nation where Elsa gets away because Luther can't run across a room. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Eric D. Snyder tweeted out, uh, Ving Rhames total screen time across all six Mission Impossible films, 46 minutes and 10 seconds. Ving Rhames total screen time where he's not sitting down or standing still, 5 minutes, 41 seconds. (laughs) I just love the image of Eric D. Snyder sitting by his television watching all the Mission Impossible movies with a stopwatch, timing Ving Rhames for yeah. all six movies. Um, that is awesome. Anyway, uh, Patrick, did you have anything else you wanted to say about that scene? Or uh, No, I just wanted to mention it because, yeah. you know, it, it is sort of like the, this big emotional scene where, we're, you know, uh, and again, in, in this sort of like – like sort of like romantic interplay between Ethan and Elsa, even though nothing actually mm-hmm. happens between them. Uh, I feel like the, this scene is fairly key where Luther is like, Hey, there's only two women I've ever seen him like, like seriously care about. And uh, here's what happened with the last one. And you should leave because uh, it, like basically if he cares about you, it's going to make his job harder. <laughs> so I, uh, and uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I just like all that stuff, and I'm like, uh, I I just I made a whole video about uh, you know trying to figure out Ethan Hunt's characterization. So I was like eating all this up, like, oh my god, like t- tell me more about what's up with this guy. <laughs> yeah. Also, let's forget about the uh, the other women from the franchise. I guess just like uh, I didn't care about them. Yeah, Mr. Possible too. Never again. Never <laughs> yeah. I was like, again. what about Naya guys? What yeah. About Naya. Okay. They had a whole theme song. <laughs> they fell in love while driving and crashing at yes. each other. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so I, I did think it was kind of amusing. Like it totally works. You know, the movie, the final sequence totally works. But 
uh, it's kind of hilarious. Benji's making up all these random rules. It's like, oh, we, we can disarm the bomb, but we've got to cut the wires at the same time. Of course. And you got to remove the firing pin. And, and Christian McQuarrie talking about like, how he wrote it that way. It's uh, you need to give everyone something to do. Right. Like, right. How are you going to do this? Like, and to his credit, he actually gives everyone something to do. Like, you know, some action directors wouldn't even do that courtesy. So they basically had to invent a problem so that it was solved by everyone having something to do. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I, I always come back to with this franchise is how much I enjoy the moment where we're all standing around explaining how impossible the mission is. Mm-hmm. And we don't really get that in this movie. We, we get it in the Jeep <laughs> where they're like, that sounds really hard. But there's not like the cool schematics of like how the hell there's only two entrances and they're both if you <laughs> breathe too hard, it'll explode, right. you know. I love that. I love explaining just how impossible this is all going to be. And I honestly feel like the all everybody has to cut them at the same moment is an attempt at that. But it it's unnecessary. If we had – you could still give everybody something to do because there's three bombs. And you could have had, you know, uh, Ving Rames disarm his bomb. Then, mm-hmm. you know – Benji and Ilsa disarm their bomb, and then the last one is still going to go unless Tom does what he's doing. It could have been like that. It didn't have to be all at the same moment. And it kind of – if there's one criticism I have at the end, which is an exquisite 20 minutes of glorious action, it is that it's a teensy bit cheesy that they all somehow are on the same page to do it at the last second and tom Uh happens to be there at the last second and it's just we didn't plan for when we were going to do this but it just all worked out you know it's all cheese it's all cheese but you know (laughs) it's cheese all the way down yeah i I like cheese i like it when it's kind of stinky and kind of aged and like you know it's it's made just for me like the point where the helicopter just keeps falling and just keeps like getting hooked like uh that line (laughs) keeps getting hooked on another piece of rock like it's a cartoon it's it's basically a cartoon at that point. I still ate it up. Um, I think that's one of the things, like, I enjoyed it, but maybe it feels a little less organic than, you know, what we saw in Rope Nation or something. That last, that last sort of climactic moment with the, the final diffusing of the bomb, mm-hmm. uh, while it is cheese, I, I'm not going to argue with that, I it really works for me because I like the idea of, like, the whole team, minus Ethan, like, all together and communicating and all on yep. the same page. In and pairs, bring, too, like, working together, yeah. Exactly, like, like, like bringing them all together, and then the last step is to just, for them to trust that Ethan will do the thing that he does. Right, yeah. right. And, uh, and just, like, like, like just their belief in him doing his impossible stuff. And to me, like, it, it kind of, like, represents so much of what these movies are about. And, uh... And yeah, and like I, I, I really liked that climactic moment. I thought it was like really nicely done, and I loved the the fade from like the cut to white into just yeah, you know, son of a like, bitch, cut to white, the, yeah, the, the sunset there, and uh, yeah, I thought it was great. My yeah, I mean, one of my favorite moments about that final scene is when they're arguing about when they should cut the wire. Like, all right, at two seconds. Cut the wire. And he's like, why two seconds? And he's like, you really want to cut it that close? That it's, it felt like an argument that the three of us would have, guys. About, like, <laughs> yeah. how we would, like, At the script writing stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is like, you know, cut it two seconds. Okay, one second. Or, can we all agree? And like, Ilsa's just like, okay, can we just all agree, please? Um, I thought that was great. Uh, but some of the visuals of Tom Cruise climbing up this rope. Ah, and, and you see the, the two helicopters in the distance. It is so beautiful. 
You know, just Unbelievable. see like seeing this tiny figure. And okay, Jeff, you're right. There is no hey, there's fifteen, you know, dogs that shoot bees out of their mouth that are gonna come after you <laughs> right. with lasers on their you know, like there's no scene like that in this movie. But what there is, what there is, it's replaced by a different thing, which is really fun, which is improvisation. Which no no, which is yeah, I mean yeah, basically like okay, it's like a puzzle, right? It's like there's one helicopter and there's a, and, you know e, like the the detonator is in one helicopter and Ethan's in the other helicopter and you know that somehow Ethan's going to get the detonator from the other helicopter but you don't know how he's going to do it. He's just like <laughs> I'm going to get it done. You you know that it's going to happen somehow but you have no idea like he's going to bring the helicopter. Is he going to jump from one to the you just have no idea. <laughs> right. You have no this idea. This is a superpower by the way. Worms. He is basically Domino from Deadpool. Like his superpower is luck <laughs> yeah. and manifesting destiny and it's kind of how this whole franchise franchise works yeah yeah, yeah. I, I honestly was a little disappointed in the fact that i thought what the moment where he realizes that he can drop the cargo yeah. and he's like fly above it i was like <laughs> uh-huh. that's the most brilliant thing i've ever seen <laughs> and then the fact that that doesn't happen i go oh shit they're gonna come up with something smarter than that and then <laughs> they didn't right they didn't he just crashes it and it it was a little bit of a bummer because, like, no, the more brilliant way to do that is to drop the cargo on the guy. You know, like that – it bummed me out that that's not the solution because I feel like that would have been the more spectacular, interesting, clever Ethan Hunt-style solution. But one of but the then, great aspects – But if it, if it worked, then it would be too easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, well, first of all, what was his plan there? Like he was dropping it over this huge thing of water? So is he going to go down there and, like, retrieve it? You know, like, anyway. Yeah. Well, we know he can hold his breath for six minutes, so, yeah. <laughs> but w- one of the great things about that final sequence is Henry Cavill has no <laughs> desire to protect the detonator because in his yeah. mind, Tom Cruise is just, like, out for revenge. You know, right, he, right, right. He, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't <laughs> think that Tom Cruise is actually trying to disarm the bomb, you know, because, yeah. like, in, in his wildest dreams, he could not imagine – that they have a team of people defusing both bombs and that they're going to remove the trigger at the right moment, you know? <laughs> he um, just doesn't know how the IMF works. Like, he, he has no faith in them. I do like how Henry Cavill, uh, towards this whole end bit, is just, like, increasingly annoyed with Ethan Hunt. Like, this fly that you just can't get away, like, no matter what, <laughs> he is just still there buzzing by your ear. And uh, his face gets partially burned off, make, makes him more monstrous in that final sequence. It's pretty cool, too. But then... Uh, doesn't uh, burn his mustache, though. Mm. <laughs> And it's like, but it's like, yeah, I'm very curious how they're going to defeat this guy. And I feel like helicopter hook to the face was a good way. You know, like I feel yeah, like yeah, that's a also satisfying... a nod to the first movie. You've got a hook from a helicopter, it, like you know, factoring in yeah. uh, into the climax mm-hmm. in a key way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a, a helicopter uh, hook getting stuck on the wrong thing. It does, in fact, yeah. lead to the bad guy's downfall, as it does in the first film. So We have some rock mention- face climbing, too, by the way. Nice yeah. uh, Mission Impossible 2 bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, that's my favorite part of the whole climax. Because <laughs> as soon as they're on the rock face, I just thought, yeah. like, I'm looking at Cavill, I'm like, bro, you haven't seen MI2. This is what he does for fun. <laughs> He's just missing sunglasses, that's all. Relaxing yeah. vacation. Uh, I, I have to say that my favorite shot in the entire movie and in the, and maybe in in entire movies like in, in entire the history of movies one of my favorite shots is just the IMAX camera mounted underneath the helicopter yes. and Tom Cruise hoisting himself up on the what are they they called skis the skis of the the mm-hmm. what is that skids what are those called the undercarriage of the helicopter well after he's climbed up the rope 
and he's holding on to the thing and he has to like get his legs up and you just you know that he's literally figuring that literally doing that at altitude <laughs> for real i mean he's got harnesses and cables and stuff but my god it, it is seeing that on an imax screen yeah full frame with the gorgeous mountain ranges below him i i i like that for me is the essence of amazing Mission Impossible moment. That's, and then when he does the fall, he... the, the fall is incredible oh, too. You know, yeah, the fall is incredible. Yeah, yeah. And right. I, I was watching the behind all the B roll. They put like thirty minutes of B roll online, <laughs> and it's like, it's like he's talking about okay, when I fall, like I'm gonna do everything I can to look in the direction of the camera so that you know it's me actually falling. <laughs> yeah, it's like when they did the fall, uh, you know, outside the hotel in Dubai. Like I didn't even realize in the movie because the the cl- it's a close up of him falling and you figure well that at least could be on a sound stage yeah. but no he really did a fall outside 146 floors up too it's like it's I you know he's a crazy person but I I gotta love watching him in movies yeah. it is amazing indeed indeed uh, the only other thing I want to shout out is the you know they they had to build uh, unique camera rigs. So that they could shoot him like in the helicopter, and so that you know it's him. And then, and then there's that sequence when like the, it's tumbling and there's like ice flying, and I'm just like, how did they do that? Like, did they build that on a stage? You know, because because what I love is like you have this stuff shot from inside the helicopter of Tom Cruise actually flying a helicopter. It looks real. You see Tom Cruise's face, and then they use those exact same angles to show him in the helicopter like tumbling around, and then like. Well, I know they didn't like actually throw a helicopter down a cliff, you know, like, but at the same time, it's you, it's like that's kind of verisimilitude, that cinema verite, like, it's like what, um, Nolan did with Interstellar, where he like strapped the camera on the side of a ship, you know, it, f- it feels very similar to like this documentary style. Um, it really adds to the realism of those sequences of those helicopters are tumbling. I really love that quite a lot. So, anyway, final scene, uh, wrapping up here. Um, and I was listening to Christopher Corey talk about this, and he, he mentioned that this final sequence, like, there was actually another additional scene afterwards, uh, but they just wrapped it all up in this sequence with him talking with, his, uh, with Michelle Monaghan and with, with Ilsa. Uh, and this scene with, you know, Angela Bassett's character narrating, it's actually a flash forward, which has never been done in Mission Impossible. I didn't even think about that. Hmm. Um, but I, it worked. It was fine. You know, at that point, you've been watching the movie for two and a half hours. Um, you can kind of wrap it up. Uh, I will say, I think Ethan Hunt kind of gets off the hook a little bit easy. You know what I mean? Michelle Monaghan's like, oh yeah, all those horrible things that happened to me, um, it was it was all great. <laughs> you know, right. like the, that is the uh, the ultimate result of Ethan Hunt putting her through all these terrible things. Is I, I like uh, Wes Bentley's like smarmy, uh, <laughs> you know, aside to him, like as as he's taking care of him, like good luck, doctor, doc, so-and-so. yeah, like because yeah. he knows that he's not a doc, yeah. Um, that was that was a nice touch, but yeah, I, I did think it was kind of like, you know, like it all worked out in the end, guys. Everything's great. Ethan Hunt <laughs> got to do whatever he wanted and save the world, and and Michelle Monaghan's life was improved as a result. Um, <laughs> kind kind of a you know, Jeff. For me, that's kind of the cheap ending, you know, um, versus the uh, crashing the helicopter because I thought that was still difficult for him. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, Patrick, any <laughs> any thoughts on the ending as we close up here? Um- I I quite liked the ending actually. To me, it, it didn't feel cheap because uh, like this felt to me like a, a really nice, satisfying payoff. Because 
I like the idea that for the past, if we're going sort of in real time, for the past like 12 years, he has felt guilt about having like, like, upended her life and think, thinking she's living in constant fear and uh, and that everything sucks and uh, and the idea that like no she's actually doing okay mm-hmm. and um, and it, I feel like it, it was really mostly just like the one experience of like what happened in the third movie that like was this sort of like th- that's what kind of changed her outlook on things where she almost died there and um, and then yeah it made her realize like oh wait like I I could be you know, like, uh, doing, like doing more, like, like doing, like, uh, helping out in these like war zones and stuff like that. And, um, and like, I I thought it was really nice kind of bit of closure just for that whole thread that's been, been around since the Mm -hmm. third movie. Just like, you know what? Like, uh, yeah, he, he can't really have like a regular relationship. That's like, just not going to work with the way that he functions, but she turned out okay. And, uh, and he can kind of like finally like, let this go because I, I like, I'm just thinking back to like the beginning of the movie and we don't we, through all the, the movies other than the third one, we see very little of his like internal life and like what he does like in between missions. Mm-hmm. And the idea that he is just alone in this safe house in Belfast, just like sleeping on like a metal cot. <laughs> and like, that's what he does. And that like, is his life. Yeah. It's so sad. And mm-hmm. so I feel, I, I just felt good that he finally got to like put this aside and stop being haunted by by the fact that he ruined this woman's life. Yeah, I mean, in in Rogue Nation, didn't he just like disappear for six months or something? Right, like it is. Well, that that also happened at the beginning yeah. of Ghost Protocol, where he just spent yeah. like six months in a prison. We never see well, him. He did have that fun. specifically he, to save her. That was yeah. he, he was in the prison specifically to save his wife. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that. But yeah, aside from the opening of Mission Impossible 2, we never see Ethan Hunt like have fun too. Like not just live a normal life, but like be human in a way and uh not be working and worrying about the world exploding all the time or something. So uh yeah, this movie seems like the it's just just dealing with that. I think that is that opening of him alone in the cot, that is what he does. All right, guys. Uh Updated Mission Impossible movie rankings. Patrick, go first. Are we going uh, best to worst? Best to worst. Let's do it. Five, six, one, four, three, two. Five, six, one, four, three, two. I will say for me, you know, it's really, th- I, want, <coughs> I want to put this as number one. But I think probably I still got it. Mm, it's so tough. It's so tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would probably say four, six, five, one, three, two. That's my so Man, ghost, ghost protocol, uh, fallout, uh, rogue nation, uh, mission impossible one. And then mm-hmm. MI three and MI two. That's my ranking. Devendra. Yeah. Um, I, w- I will reiterate, like judging these movies aside from like MI two is a lot like, you know, ju- you know, judging all really good entries. But for me, it's still uh, five up top, and then I, I think Fallout is my second. Yeah. Then Ghost Protocol, then uh, MI three, then MI one, and then MI two. Jeff Kanata. I am shocked. Uh, I honestly, <laughs> you know what it was going to be, Jeff? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. Yeah. I think honestly, it's hard because they're all they are all really good. Except, yeah. Uh, I honestly think I'm three, four, five, six, one, two. 
Wow. So three is still oh. number one for you. Dude, three is awesome. <laughs> Jeff really likes Mr. Possible 3. We we cemented this fact uh, in our retro. I got a lot of support for that, by the way. people. It's very good. It is very good. Yeah. Are you just like a huge Greg Grunberg fan, so it wins because he's in it? Yeah, Dude, there's that. Don't, don't bet against the Grunberg, ever. Um, it, it's It's got the best villain by far. It has not one, but two of the things I like most about these movies, which is the cool, like, this is impossible. How are we going to do it? Look at all the cool things. How are we going to even do this? And then they do it. Uh, it's got the constant like established tech that we have not working and oh no that's four sorry anyway <laughs> it's got a lot of awesome stuff yeah. uh and i loved it and uh you guys you guys screw yourselves all right all right well uh guys <laughs> i just want to say um it's really been fun talking with you about this movie it really means a lot to me uh and i think you guys know that so how uh, crazy is it to have a sixth movie in a franchise be potentially the best and also yeah. w- you know uh, better than the first <laughs> like, do we think this is going to be the last one you know is the well question. maybe I mean, we've got to talk about that now yeah, yeah. it feels yeah. like a good ending also first of all before we even get to that like i feel like um uh, i like how jeremy renner's character brandt is never mentioned in this entire film <laughs> <laughs> like we're yeah. just like that was a mistake let's never talk about that again i actually love brandt in rogue nation yeah, I figure. I feel like that fun. one really figured out what to do with him. He's so, Patrick, you have this crazy the theory about what they're going to do for the seventh. One. I've heard your crazy theory, Patrick. I think it's crazy, but what are, what will, are your uh, thoughts on the seventh one? It involves so masks, not, lots of masks technology. It's not my, uh, uh, of course, like nonstop masks. <laughs> it's not so much my theory as it's what I would like to yes, happen. What you would like, yeah. Um, so I'd like one more movie. Just do seven, and that's it. Uh, and I'd like, <laughs> I'd like Cruz to like play actually age him up a little bit so he's like in his 60s maybe he has like his collateral hair and uh and i would just like and i I don't even really have i mean a few years ago i was thinking about this being like yeah i'd like it to just be like i want to get johnny toe to direct it and uh have like his whole team die and then it's one like bitter like revenge mission and then and then i realized like oh wait no like logan came out i don't need that like the logan of these movies yeah but um but I don't even know what I want it to be about, but I want just one last one where he's a bit older. Give him a final mission, and I know – and my three choices to direct are Gore Verbinski, Park Chan-wook, or Bong Joon-ho. And, <laughs> and I, but I would like Macquarie to still write it because since he's had a hand now in half the movies in the series, I feel like he gets it better than anyone. And um and that's it. That's oh, oh and also bring back all the uh the surviving team members who only like were in one movie. Mm-hmm. Like I want to I want to know what happened. Just like give me like a big epilogue where we see what happened to like Paul Jonathan Rhys Myers and Paula Patton and Maggie Q and all that. Yeah. And uh, I I just that that's it. That's what I would like. But that said, if this is the last one, I will be more than satisfied. I think this is a good ending. To be honest, like, right? This is this mm-hmm. is a good kind of like yeah. It, if it wraps up here. Uh, I would be happy that we got these movies and and I'd be you know not disappointed that we didn't get more. So if your vision comes to pass, Patrick, I hope it's not aging him up. I, just literally, just wait five years. You know, <laughs> wait five years and then do it when he's actually in his sixties, and yeah. then you know why not? Yeah. Totally the could, but I, I feel like BIMF, he's always. By the way, yeah. I I actually part of me wondered during this movie I was like, is he gonna like get Baldwin's job at the end? But that <laughs> seems like it would be so uninteresting because i don't want to see him as a suit mm, right. like uh 
But uh, but the, well, the thing is, he I feel like he's usually playing about ten years younger than he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was basically so, supposed to be. He was supposed to be like the trainer in Mission Impossible Three, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's like uh, Billy Crudup's. Like, can I convince you to go back in the field? You know, like he was yeah. supposed to be kind of out of commission already. Um, so it would be, kind of be a callback to that, but I would like to see him in the suit. We haven't seen the series, um, maybe since like Mission Impossible One, but like. We've been going all over the world, like you know. Let's let's bring it back home. Let's get some Washington D.C. action or something going on. Like there, there are a lot of places to to take this. I'd also just like to see a new, like a complete restart of the series with a you know fresh new cast or something. Oh, just let Can it you, die. Would, does it make work without Cruz? Oh, it's it's a simple like it's a pretty <laughs> simple premise. You know, like the team. It is the team. Like, and we've kind of gotten away from that, I think, because it's centered so much on Cruz, but. You know, I'd like to see other folks get a chance because I like these types of movies. I think good spy movies is something, you know, we, you know, we didn't have much of for a while. And now we have this and, you know, yeah, maybe they're going the to yeah. reboot this in eight years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, anyway. the thing is, like, uh, arguably still, like, the high point of the whole series is the Langley heist from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't need Cruz and his impossible stunts to do that. Like, you could have other actors do that kind of thing. Mm. I don't yeah. know about High Point after this movie, but, you know, fair enough. I, 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 arguable, arguable. Yeah, arguable, arguable. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from Kyle Hillinger. And our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Patrick Willems, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can watch the videos I make uh, with a crew of very talented people at youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems. Follow me on all the social medias at Patrick H. Willems and listen to my very silly niche podcast, We Heart Hartnett, exploring the filmography of the actor Josh Hartnett, which I co-host with Matt and Jake Torpy, and uh, it's everywhere that podcasts are. Very cool. Thanks again for joining us, uh, Patrick. Really appreciate it. Jeff Kanata, how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a show about video games, which is called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And you, Devendra Hardware? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at engadget.com. Find me on Twitter at Dave Chensky, that's Dave Chen S-K-Y, and at DaveChen.net. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, we'll be reviewing Blind Spotting. Which is playing in limited release right now. Blind Spotting is the movie we'll be reviewing on the podcast next week. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you later. I don't think you really gave credence to my my idea there, David. I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm you sorry. just kind of wrote it off as a ravings of a crazed mind. <laughs> yeah. I uh, put a lot of thought to that, and I really liked it. I thought yeah, it was good. No, that's fair enough, Jeff. That's fair enough. I, I definitely want, like, a extreme mask-off. Like, instead of a Mexican standoff, it is a, uh, it's a mask-off. <laughs> yeah, 14 yeah. Ethan Hunts all pointing yeah. guns at each other. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Before we get to uh, actually talking about the hunt? spoilers for this, what's, what's that, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> they call it the hunt for hunt. So. Mm, nice. Yes. Yes.